Man, y'all know what it is, man. It's San Francisco 49ers morning show. We're going to get it popping today. We want to talk about the unsung heroes of the win against the Houston Texans. Trey has got all the shine, but there's another unit that really deserves a lot more respect and a coach. We're going to get into all that and more right here on San Francisco 49ers morning show. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the San Francisco 49ers Morning Show. I'm your host, former NFL and AFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. You know what it is, man. Every day we hear live every morning, 6.30 a.m. Pacific, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Central Time, 8.30, so it's perfect time for me and Shoot, man, it's perfect time for y'all. I know a lot of people, uh, they message me. They say they're getting ready for work. They're on their way to work. They're listening to the show. I appreciate that. I appreciate all the love. Uh, we also, you know, want to check in with you guys from a mental aspect, make sure everybody's mental is right. And I see our guy Victor in here. Victor, you know, he's one of our family members, man. Everybody that's here every morning, you're all family members. And Victor says, keep positive vibes for his uncle, who starts chemo and radiation today for his brain cancer. So we're definitely going to keep him in our prayers. We're definitely going to have positive vibes for Unc, and uh, he's going to be strong. He's going to make it through this whole thing, man. So uh, shout out to Victor. Shout out to Victor's uncle, man. Uh, definitely going to be in my prayers for sure. And I hope you guys pray for him too. Uh, I do have a guest coming on today. It's not the NFL guy, which I need to reach out to him today. So but, so it's not the NFL guy, former 49er that I have coming on. Some of you guys, there was a couple of people that guessed right, but I ain't going to let y'all know who that player is. Was there before the hardball era? Was there during the hardball era? We're going to get him on, talk about developing, you know, at all the different positions. He was a guy, I won't say he was a late bloomer, but he definitely was someone who didn't start right away. All right, but it's not going to be him today. I actually have another 49ers content creator coming on, and we're going to talk about a specific topic, Brandon Ayuk, and kind of what we're seeing from Ayuk. There were certain things that I'm seeing I saw certain things that he's seen. I'm like, you know what? I need you to come on and elaborate on that. All right. So he's coming on this morning. So definitely uh, going to talk about all that. But first, you see the shirt, the Locked On Network shirt, man. You already know what it is. Make sure you guys, if you haven't already, listened to the Locked On 49ers podcast with myself, Brian Peacock. We are there every single day of the week. Well, five days a week. All right. Uh, myself, Brian Peacock. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. I think the YouTube link is in my description. If it's not, just type in Locked On 49ers. It'll pop right up. You know what I'm saying? Hey, the channel's growing. So shout out to everybody that subscribed to the channel. That's what's up. Uh, Underdog Fantasy, we're going to get into that later this week. But let's get into it, man, because I want to get y'all. I'm probably going to get you guys on after my guest comes on. But let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers defense. They are the unsung heroes. You know, the, the defense allowed Trey Lance to get settled in. They started out right away with a three and out. I mean, pretty much <laughs> every drive that the Texans had outside of one resulted in either a punt or a turnover. And, I mean, that was throughout the – I mean, and countless amount of three and outs, uh, you know, sometimes turnover on downs when they went for it on fourth down. The defense, they've been really the backbone of this team and keeping the 49ers in more games than not. I have heard some people kind of throw out there, D'Amico Ryan's like, head coaching job. I'm here to tell you, 
D'Amico Ryan's not getting no head coaching job next year, and I'm going to tell you why. And I'll probably just briefly touch on that. Black coaches got have to go, like, above and beyond when it comes to getting a head coaching job. You look at their resumes, it ain't like um, the guy – for the that was with the, the the Rams as a defensive coordinator for one year and then went on to be a head coach for the LA Chargers. Like that that stuff don't happen for <laughs> Brevis. All right. You got to go above and beyond. You got to work hella hard. You have to be very consistent. And eventually he will get his shot. It just won't come next year. So that's awesome. You to keep I mean awesome for 49ers, right? To have somebody like D'Amico Ryans who has had to deal with so much turnover, so much turnover, so many injuries at pivotal spots. He's playing like patch, like patch, he's doing patchwork at the secondary in the secondary with the corners. He's had to play games without uh without Ward. He's had to play games without Tart. He's had to, I mean, the whole season he lost his best corner week one. Even when he lost his best corner, I think Mosley was out the next two weeks, and then Mosley, you know, he's missed that last three games. I mean. He's had the pieces together. He's played without Fred Warner. Drake Greenlaw missed a lot of time. Alshair, he's been banged up. I mean, D4 was supposed to be a big part of this defense, and he ain't playing. I mean, he he's missing a lot, like, and he's figuring it out. And a lot of people were hard on D'Amico Ryan's. Are right, we going? You know what? Let's start with D'Amico. A lot of people were hard on D'Amico Ryan's to start off, and I was telling people if his scheme, if his game plan was off. If D'Amico Ryan's game plan was bad, then I would say, all right, you know, it, it, you know, like, okay, maybe he's not the right guy. There were some games that had some weird moments, but I thought D'Amico Ryan's, for the most part, did some really good things as far as coming out his scheme against opposing teams. All right, now, were there certain moments where you're saying, hey, he should double team that guy? Y yeah, there's, there's been that. Or there's some things that I weren't happy with. I hate the spot dropping especially, what was it, against the um, Tennessee Titans. They kept spot dropping on, like, third and long and giving up these easy hookups for first downs. I'm like, gosh, like, stop the spot dropping. That, I mean, but, like, more times than not, D'Amico Ryans has called an excellent game. I think he has improved as the season goes on. And when I say improved, I mean, the results, to me, have been better than what I expected throughout the year. But just seeing how he challenges defenses, uh, learns from his mistakes pretty quickly. He doesn't seem like someone who makes the same mistakes twice. I think he's done an awesome job there. Again, he's had his hands kind of tied behind his back with the cornerback situation. And even then, I tell people all the time, I tell people, if the 49ers lose a game, it won't be because of the corners. Now, is he covering up for them at certain times? Maybe running too, more too high than he would like? Maybe. Uh, do they give up stuff here and there? Do they get beat here and there? Yeah, for sure. But not nearly to the extent of what people think. And I've come to the defense of the secondary a lot. Like, there are a lot of people that are like, oh, the, the 49ers can't do this because the secondary is trash. Well, the results say otherwise. Now, I'm not saying that the secondary is good or the corners are good. But with how D'Amico Ryans has been able to call coverages for those guys – protect guys, keep things in front of them, eliminate the big plays, aside from the pass interferences, and I, I get it. He's done a terrific job as a defensive coordinator. Now, again, we could point to a game like the Green Bay Packers game, where at the end, it's like, man, and, and, uh, 
Diamandor Lenore, you know, dang, he's supposed to be in the two-man trail. He's not in the trail. They give up a, a catch to uh, Devontae Adams over the middle. There was another one where uh, Diamandor Lenore got beat on the corner. They had a double-end concept with the corner route. He squeezed just enough to where Aaron Rodgers was able to throw a perfect touch pass over his hands. Like, all right, like, okay, I, ideally you don't want to have to have your rookie in there, but it called for in that situation. I think more times than not, and again, in that game, I think I think Josh Norman got hurt or something, right? Because they had Emmanuel Mosley. He played very well. I think Norman played, and I believe he forced a fumble that game. But I think late he had some type of injury, right, if I'm not mistaken. So you had to throw the rookie out there. And one thing, we talk about reps and stuff for the – quarterbacks and how, you know, if you're the backup, you don't get a whole lot of reps. It's the same for cornerbacks and receivers and things like that. Like the game plan is for you. And and obviously like if you're a backup, you have to prepare mentally, but if you don't get those reps, it's kind of hard to just be thrown in there. And Norman was the starter. He played well. Uh, Lenore came in for him and he gave up a couple of plays that I feel like if it was Josh Norman, he would have known, hey, in two-man trail, I got to be underneath. Okay, I can't squeeze this too much. I got to sink underneath. Those are things that even if uh, Norman at his – Norman's not the most – how can I put this? He's not as fast as he used to be, and he never was a burner. So now he has to play even more so with his mind. I think sometimes that can get him in trouble and maybe lead to him being a little grabby. But even then, the game is still slowed down more for him than it is for a cornerback. Aside from that, even with the secondary, if you look at them in games, right? And, and this is me right now. I'm just summing up the job that D'Amico Ryan has done. There might be a drive. Talk about the, the Tennessee Titans game. There was a drive where the corners hurt you. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, A.J. Brown, you know, he, he got off, whatever. He had his hundred and something yards. But I didn't think it was all on the corners. You did have the big free play on, on Ambry Thomas. I thought he got pushed off, but you had that play. And on that same drive, he had another catch, and then he had a touchdown on Josh Norman. I, I felt like outside of that one drive, <laughs> I thought the corners were fine in that game. So it kind of led me back to thinking, if, if the 49ers lose, more times than not, it's not going to be because of corners. I say the Packers game, it was because the corner, because you had guys get hurt and you have a rookie going who he wasn't prepared to play. So, okay, we could say like the corner. Okay. Uh, the Colts game, they just had too many pass interference calls. I, I'll probably, I'll put that on the corners because the defense did a good job of getting in third and long situations and then they just start throwing it up and then they kept getting pass interference calls. Definitely. Like that was one. But outside of that, I think the defense and the secondary play well enough to definitely win. And a big part of that is the scheme that D'Amico Ryan is putting up, putting out there. He, he's going man when he needs to. I thought last game they went man at key spots. Everybody hates Josh Norman. I thought Josh Norman did a good job last game, uh, even though he got benched. But that was probably just his last draw. I'm pretty sure Kyle was like, okay, D'Amico's like, I'm tired of seeing him. Get him out of here. All right, <laughs> D'Amico's like, all right, if you say so. So, but that was a good job on the third down play where they motioned down. So, if you guys – Teams motion receivers a lot of times to get the corner off and having to play off. All right. So you had Josh Norman impressed on the outside guarding Cooks. 
Cooks motion down. All right, Cooks motion down to a tight split. And from there, typically it's supposed to force the corner to have to play off because, because of the tight split motion. When he comes down, Norman does a good job of still coming back square. He washes Cooks down the line and complete pass. Now, y'all don't want to give Norman props for that. I get it. But Norman, it, it, it was a really good rep, and I thought he had several good reps. Matter of fact, think of how many times you said Josh Norman's name against the Houston Texans. Once on the pass interference. And it's like, oh, he sucks. Get him out. He sucks. Get him out of there. It's like, man, y'all done said Josh Norman's name one time. One time. And that's why I try to get through to y'all. Again, I ain't saying he's great. I'm not saying I want to replace him. Matter of fact, I've talked about Josh Norman and how 49ers don't want to have to play him. If it was up to them, they, they wouldn't play him. But they, they have to. Is <laughs> what the situation calls for. All right. So, anyways, I think D'Amico Ryans has done a really good job of hiding the corners when need be. Uh, you can't hide them all game. At some point, they give up a little something. But I would say more times than not, like they're not the reasons the 49ers lose if they if they lose a game. And I think they and I don't think they again, you don't want Norman out there. Listen, y'all. He didn't start the season on a roster. He didn't start the season on a roster. He was on the streets. The 49ers have to play Josh Norman because at some point Mosley got hurt. Verrett got hurt. Uh your rookies weren't ready to play. And it's like, okay, like, what do we do? Well, you go and get somebody like Josh Norman. Like, and, and I'm not saying that it's great. That's like your 10th option. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like your 10th option. All right, but anyways, enough of Josh Norman. I think he is serviceable for whatever my expectations are for him, which my expectations aren't high. I feel like y'all have too high of expectations for him. Like, he's supposed to be, like, this lockdown corner. And I challenge y'all. Matter of fact, y'all watch the games, but y'all don't y'all don't watch the games. Watch, watch other teams and see what's happening to their DBs. And then and then say, you know what? Maybe Josh Norman isn't as bad. Did you guys not just watch Jamar Chase go for like 300 yards? Did y'all see that? Did y'all against Kansas City? Did y'all see Josh Norman go for like 300? I mean, not Josh Norman, excuse me, Jamar Chase. So whatever D'Amico Ryans did to disguise things or hide things or make it to where we don't get killed like that, those guys went out there and executed it to a certain extent. It could be a lot worse, and that's kind of really been my thing. 49ers pass coverage is not, obviously not great, but it's not nowhere near as bad as people think. No, it's not nowhere nearly as bad. I, I'm going to keep talking about that. But who do we give the credit to? Domingo Ryans, man. He's done an amazing job putting these guys in position to not just get murdered every game. And more times than not, I think the defense does a good job. So uh, they held Davis Mills, who Davis Mills has been playing well as of late. He's been throwing for a ton of yards. They held him to like 160 passing yards on 30-some attempts. That's really good. So they're keeping things in front of them. They're tackling well. They're not giving up the big play, even though they did give up one. They got called back. But they're, they're, they're doing well, and D'Amico Ryans has a big hand in that. 
Shout out to Marcel Harris. He had to fill in again. He threw for 265 yards. Oh, you're talking about, uh, excuse me. I'm looking at this. I'm like, he threw for 265 yards. That was uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah, he had 265. He went crazy. I agree that Josh Norman is washed. I, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he he's not their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth choice to play corner. They just kind of have to play him. That's what I'm saying about Josh Norman. I'm not saying he's tight. I ain't saying he's not washed. But also I'm saying considering the circumstances, I think Josh Norman does a, a decent job of not letting happen what happened to – like the way y'all view Josh Norman, it's what happened to Sneed for the Chiefs against Jamar Chase. Go watch that game and watch what they were doing. They were just saying, hike, throwing it up, touchdown. Hike, throw it up, bomb. Hike, throw it up, bomb. Third and 27, doesn't matter. Hike, throw it up to Jamar Chase, bomb. Like that's what y'all – if 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 – if that was happening to, to Josh Norman, then I'd be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he got killed. And that's how y'all act. Go watch some other football, man. Go watch some other teams, man. I'll be watching all these games on Sunday, man. Y'all got to go watch them. And you'll be like, okay, Norman's not great, but it bad this guy. <laughs> that's what I'd be thinking. All right. And, again, it might not be him. It might be allowed on. Domingo Ryan's really kind of setting guys up for success. I think he's doing a really good job of that. Crowd, you waste your time. Any logic? Any logical fan of football knows Norman is a serviceable corner and yes, lacks speed, but we could have someone like Brian Allen out there again. Right. He's, he's better than him, but he again, I don't think Norman's good, but I think he's he's not as bad as a lot of people think. Crockett don't trip on the emotional responses from fans. The cornerbacks have held it down most of the part. I agree. They've done well. Now, again, would I want to address it or or how would I address it? That's a different – that's a, another conversation for another day. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But I do have a guy coming on in 10 minutes. So I want to get through this. Marcel Harris, good job interception filling in. This is a guy who, again, he's a reserve linebacker, a guy who played safety, but you saw the coverage skills. I always thought Marcel Harris got a bad rap for his coverage ability. It's not even like coffee. It probably looks like coffee, but it really is just hot chocolate. I always, I feel like when I watched the All-22 on Marcel Harris, I was like, this is a really good football player. I think he does a really good job of taking the ball away. I think he does a really good job of forcing fumbles. I think he does a really good job in coverage. I, I think his, his where Marcel Harris had the, the biggest kind of liability was always like zone in in zone and he's off and he's kind of far back he can get in trouble but if you're playing him like along the line of scrimmage and he's in man coverage or even if he's off in man Marcel Harris cover skills is actually pretty good there was one play that is just always on my mind he was guarding he was guarding uh Michael Thomas slant god all right and Michael Thomas ran a dig route right inside stem uh, stemmed up, tried to cross his face. And if you watch Marcel Harris on that play, he's off. He leverage step. All right, leverage step is a step to where uh, it, it helps you keep your inside leverage. All right, so from off coverage, especially if you're a man or maybe even some quarters, 
you want to you start with your inside leverage, and as the receiver stems, you stem with your leverage step. All right, and that allows it to where now he can't cross your face, but you keep the same inside relationship with the receiver that you started. So if he does break in, now you're able to cross you're able to cross his face and break at a good angle, as opposed to him stemming inside, you kind of staying head up, and then once he breaks across the field, you're, it's good night. They're going to complete it easy. Man, he did an inside step, leverage step, uh, broke across. I was like, ooh, Marcel Hill. Like, that was nice. And, I, and I mean, he's terrific around the box, a little light for a linebacker, maybe not like a stat guy to where he's going to take on blockers and things like that. But his coverage skills in man is good. It's, it's, it's the off zone stuff. So I think maybe that's why they were like, you know what, let's put you at linebacker. Let's put you closer to the box and let you do your thing. You can play some man there. Got my guy, uh, Kent, 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 all right. <laughs> uh, love the fact that Trey Lance era has finally started. Oh, it has, but has it? It's not really Trey's time. And what I mean by that, and we'll get into more of that with my guest that's coming on in a few minutes, but if Jimmy Garoppolo is 100% healthy, he's starting. So is it really, is it really his time yet? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. All right. It's not really crazy. Like now, if Jimmy can't go, then yeah. But I think that's more by default as opposed to like, hey, this is the guy because we just feel like he's the best thing for us and we're moving forward with him. I think they have a little bit more respect for Jimmy Garoppolo like that. So they're kind of still putting it off as, you know, Jimmy's team and whatnot. So it started, but it, you know what I'm saying? Appreciate the contribution. Uh, But back to the defense, man. Got to give them their flowers, the pass rush. I know I have seen the questions about people talking about Nick Bosa and his lack of protection over the last couple of day, games. But one, he has forced holds, uh, holdings. So he's kind of getting in there and people are holding him, preventing him from getting sacks. That definitely has happened with him uh, numerous times. And I feel like, you know, as 49 fans, we could probably point out a lot of times where, uh, you know, it's like, eh, got held there. Um, the D-line as a whole has stepped up. You look at guys like Arden Key. He's helping push the pocket. He's getting sacks. Arden Key has six sacks since week nine. That's terrific. You know, coming into the season, Arden Key had played in, I believe it was 37 games, and he had three total sacks. Again, Arden Key had played in 37 games, and he had three total sacks heading into this season with the 49ers, right? And he had played with the Raiders previously. He came in, 49ers, and obviously, like, it's like, oh, okay, Arden Key, remember what he was at LSU? He had six sacks over the last nine games. And I'd be curious to see if he had any sacks before that. But, I mean, he's doubled his production just in this time. And it definitely helps playing alongside a guy like Bosa. But he also had Max Crosby. And I'm not saying – I ain't saying Max is Bosa. But Max, you know, he ain't no slouch. He's a he's a good football player. So, I think maybe it's a change of scheme. He talked about going more to a wide nine. That helped him be a little bit more free, just being able to come off the edge. So, that's been something pretty cool to see with him. Ambry over Norman when Mosley comes back, I would say yeah. And here's the biggest reason why for me. I think Ambry Thomas is a less liability with speed. So to, to me, with just his God-gifted ability and his athleticism, he's going to be in position more times than not to make the play. Now, again, you got to make the play. I think with Josh Norman, he gets himself in those positions where he grabs because he doesn't have that vertical speed right now. So I think there's just a little bit less liability for 
the you know the big shots, even though he hasn't come down with it, but I know he's gonna be in position, and I'm just waiting for him to turn that leaf to where it's like he's consistently making the plays on the ball when he's in position, and then a big part of it is gonna be because of because of his youthful athleticism that he has. So yeah, I think they go with Ambry Thomas. I think uh Kyle Shanahan kind of alluded to the fact that he won't say anything about Josh Norman's spot and it's kind of up in the air. So I think he feels like us. I, if I had to guess, I'd say it's going to be Amber Thomas and Mosley. And I think most people would be happy about that. Get the young guy going. Shout out to just, you know, trust in the process. Getting guys on the field. And it's been good to see him play. And now when you start to look at it, uh, especially over the last couple of games, just throughout the year, right, because we talk about this draft class, the 49ers definitely have – and there were people like, man, this is a terrible draft class. Nobody's playing. Now you got your rookie quarterback, and he's looking solid, right? He's heading in the right direction, okay? Still, you know, and we'll get to that with my guest that's coming on in a few minutes. But you got the – you know, you got the rookie quarterback, okay, playing. Aaron Banks, Trey Sermon, not getting anything out of them. All right, now, after that, Amber Thomas, all right, he's coming along. Awesome. Yamadou Lenore, he has played, hasn't played as a late. A little weird, but I get it. I think he's profiled more as a nickel. We'll get more into that as the offseason comes. Uh, Hufunga, he has played in spot duty. He has had a couple starts. He has contributed. Moore, not sure what happened with Moore. He was a guy who is like, hey, he's been playing that right tackle. Are we going with him? Are we going with Compton? Are we going with him? Are we going with Compton? They ain't no going with Compton. We'll see what happens with Moore. Uh, and then you have, obviously, who looks like who's having the best most successful rookie uh, season for the 49ers and one of the most successful rookie backs in the NFL, Elijah Mitchell, who just broke a record for uh, rookie rushing yards by a 49er player. Not complaining, but it's odd. Teams don't attack our corners deep until late in the game. How is the book not out on their safeties? D'Amico? It's D'Amico. I think they're playing more too high and it's eliminating teams from being able to take the deep shots consistently. So D'Amico is putting them in position to where, hey, you're going to have help vertically. All right? So yeah, teams have to try to take their shots. And that happened to Ambry Thomas against Atlanta. And I'm just like, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Atlanta wasn't pretty for Ambry Thomas. But again, with him, it's not a lack. It's not. He does the hard work. The hard, the, the heavy duty work. I'm talking about Ambry Thomas right now. The heavy duty work is just being in position. Like, just, just being able to run with receivers vertically in the NFL. Like, it's hard to have sticky coverage in the league. I can do it. Like, he has that part. That was like, bro, like, the easy part or the easier part is making the play on the ball, even if it's just knocking it away. And that's where he has lacked. And he definitely lacked in that Atlanta game. But as we've seen, you know, he has, like, kind of improved. They didn't really attack him a whole lot last game. I believe he gave up one catch for zero yards against Atlanta. He did get bombed on, but they, it got called back for holding. So that play is still in my head because from an evaluation standpoint, it happened. As did it happen several other times at the catch point. So that's something that he's going to have to really work on. And I believe a lot of it is confidence, is going up with confidence. I believe a lot of it is attacking the ball with violent hands. He's going for interceptions. Maybe you tell him, stop going for the pick, attack the ball at his highest point and knock it away. Now, he did that a couple times in the Tennessee game, but then he got bombed on on the uh, free play, which, again, I feel like he got pushed off. But aside from that, yeah, 
Now, as far as the other corner, now, in, 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 are we talking about Emmanuel Mosley out there or Norman? Because Mosley out there, you could try him vertically all you want. More times than not, you're going to lose. <laughs> Mosley be on it vertically. So I do. I'm I'm confident that with Ambry Thomas and Mosley, you are headed in the right direction. And you also have to know, and we'll talk about more of this in the offseason, how much resources do we have to pour into the cornerback position? Here's the thing that you guys have to ask yourself. Are you done with Mosley? Because if you are, then yeah, go ahead, draft a guy second round. Go spend the high price. Go spend money on a high price for agent. If you're not done with, I said Mosley, I meant Ambry Thomas. Are you are you done with Ambry Thomas? And if you're not done with Ambry Thomas, if you feel like he could potentially be a starter, you don't draft somebody really high to play over him. You also don't go out and spend a bunch of money on a free agent. What do you do? You bring in somebody like um, Mike Hughes, a low price free agent, a killer Witherspoon. I'm not saying they'll do that, but y'all see a killer right now balling for the Steelers? Man, stop playing. All right, but anyways, y'all gave fans gave Spoon a hard time. And I'm not saying he was great. I didn't think it was nearly as bad as people make it out to think. And this is what y'all got to stop doing. And this is why y'all come to my show, right? Because I'm going to keep it real with y'all. Y'all keep it real with me, right? I'm going to give you guys a different perspective because I don't react like emotionally to things too often, especially when it comes to the 49ers. I look at everything from like a coach's perspective or player's perspective. What fans do a whole lot is they, they look at, they'll look at like a specific, how can I put this? They'll remember a moment in a play and be like, you know, he's bad. Remember when he fell and 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 uh, Stefan Diggs caught a touchdown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, remember the one game two years ago against Atlanta, he gave up six catches against uh Detroit Lions. He gave up six catches. Fans remember moments. And 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 that moment gave them like some kind of emotional reaction. And then they let that tell them how that player is. And that's what happened a lot with Emmanuel Mosley. Uh, excuse me. With, uh, I'm talking about all these damn corners. With Akella Witherspoon. Was he great? I, I'm not going to say that. I would say, hmm, up and down, right? Maybe not as consistent as you would like. But he wasn't nowhere near as bad as 49 fans made him out to be. And ask, ask Pittsburgh how they feel about him. I don't know what happened with Seattle. That was the one thing where I'm like, Damn, maybe I'm wrong about Akello. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what happened in Seattle. Why did Seattle trade him during preseason? Maybe I'm wrong. And then he goes to Pittsburgh and he's balling. <laughs> so I wasn't wrong. <laughs> All right? He's playing good football. Uh, what teams do test us deep? It's uh, two PIs in a row. Oh, when teams do. Excuse me. I don't got my glasses on. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, man. I appreciate the contribution. And obviously, I'm always going to come to the defense of corners. But if something's bad, I'll say it's bad. When it comes to the corners, let me see, where's my guest at? When it comes to pass interference, it's it's so it's so subjective to the eye of the ref at that moment or the angle that that ref has. And I've seen plenty of pass interference calls that are warranted. And I've seen plenty... Where it's like, man, that was kind of a terrible call. Like whether it's 49ers or whatever. I watch football all day, college football, NFL. I see so many calls. So, okay, they call pass interference on the 49ers. And unfortunately for the 49ers, it happened more against them than anyone else. 
but I'd say half the calls are probably bad. So, okay, they tried this vertically. I that 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 pass interference call on Norman to me was terrible. But he got dinged for it. So what do you do? I, I don't know. I, I hate the way they call pass interference in the NFL right now. I I really think that I really think that pass interference should be a 15-yard penalty. Like it is in high school, like it is in college. Because listen, and I and I know what people are thinking. Dude, if, if people would just pass interference people on purpose, if they know that they're beat vertically, no the hell they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. What? Listen, and I'm telling you from a cornerback's perspective, if I'm close enough down the field to grab you because I think I'm beat, in my eyes, in my mind, I'm close enough to make a play on the ball. Again, I'm not going to intentionally pass interference. Now I'll tell you when the intentional pass interference has happened. All right? The intentional pass interference has happened on double moves, which typically double moves happen within 15 yards. So that doesn't affect the 15-yard rule, right? Typically, passing interferences, when they happen, it's within 15 yards. I mean, uh, on double moves, like the intentional ones. Aside from that, guys aren't, oh, I'm downfield. I'm just going to grab a guy and tackle him because I'm beat 50 yards down the field. No, if I'm close enough to grab you, then I'm close enough to make a play on the ball. Now, have you seen some guys panic and maybe run into a guy? Maybe they didn't get their heads back and they look, okay, yeah, that happened. But that's not intentional. That's them, I don't know when the ball is coming, I don't know where it's dropping down, and I end up running into somebody. All right, so there's that. All right, real quick before I get my guest on, it's time to upgrade the position. We can't wait anymore. I don't think, and I know, I hear all the conversations about the 49ers and them not addressing the cornerback position. I don't think it's just that simple. You have to look at, one, kind of different needs and things that they are maybe trying to prioritize. A lot of times it's been the front. And then you also have to look at who's the cornerback that's available at that spot. How much do you prioritize that that position over the corner? To me, I'm building from the front out. Just my opinion. So I'm more likely to draft somebody, uh, you know, if it's, if it's, hey, there's this really good corner crop and there's this really good pass rusher and I have the same exact grade on them, I'm going with the pass rusher. Because pass rush is definitely going to affect the game more than the corner, especially with the way that games are called. Think about it this way. The 49ers, with the corners that they have, right, who are less than ideal, the corners who are less than ideal that the 49ers have right now are still not the issue the 49ers lose. So let's improve everything else around them. Now, obviously, yeah, if I can upgrade at the position, of course. But I don't think I would prioritize it as much as people think. Now, again, if I'm set at my front, I got my bookends, they're able to come off the, the, the edge, they're flying around, they're making plays, and then from there, okay, I, I need to address this cornerback position, which may be the situation for the 49ers next year, then yeah. But even then, I'd say edge might still be a priority. So second round, you're sitting there, would you take – a corner in the second round over Maje Sanders. I just talked about him. I saw how active he was in the game against Alabama. He had like eight pressures. Do you take a corner over Maje Sanders when you have a guy like D Ford who's not coming back? Uh, your best guy opposite of Bosa is, uh, you know, Arden Key, who really kind of 
has worked better inside, like you need another edge rusher. So if they do take an edge rusher over a corner, are we saying that they don't prioritize the corner? Or is it just what the position calls for at that time? And I think there's been more of that. So that's just my opinion. But enough of me talking. I'm going to get my guy on. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about this receiver position. And then I definitely want to get my guy's uh, his opinion on Trey Lance's performance. But with no further ado, any guesses to uh, who I might have coming on, guys? It's a 49ers content creator. All right. Y'all probably not going to guess. So here we go. This. What up, my guy? What's How up? You? Good morning. How, Good morning how, to you. How is it waking up and knowing that you're on break and you don't have to go to school right now? <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world. Uh, I got one semester left of hopefully, I mean, I'm, I might get a graduate degree, but it might be a bit later. So I got one semester left and uh, it is really nice to just wake up and have one more week of break. I, I don't want it to end, but I'm also ready to go and finish up that last semester and graduate and get into the working. So, <clears throat> so this, I woke up this morning to some text messages from you. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to read, I'm going to read the text message and then we're going to kind of elaborate on it. All right. All right. So Vish text me, first of all, I'm an old man. So I wasn't up at, let's see when I got these text messages from him. Uh, gosh. Oh, here they go. So he texts me about 1 a.m. All right. We're both central time zones. So, you know, I, I, I'm sleep. I'm an old man now, 34 years old. And he says, Crop, what are your genuine thoughts on IU? Do you think the 49er fans overrate his ability and potential? So before I get my response, I want to ask you, what, what are you seeing and how do you think the 49ers maybe overrate his ability and potential? Well, I think first off, I think he's a good player. I, I don't think there's any, should be any argument about that. He's a good receiver. He's a starting receiver. He's a good one. But um, I, I see a lot of stuff on Twitter uh, that is Ayuk is going to take off with Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo has been holding Ayuk back. I saw it even last season when people were already ready to anoint Ayuk as the most uh, gifted receiving option on this team over a Kittle, over a Debo, who had maybe proven it more just based on what he looked like as a rookie. I think part of it has to do with the fact that he looks the part like the prototypical receiver, you know, long arms, real smooth body type, really smooth athlete. But I, I see generally like people just think that he's going to be this top 10 receiver. I remember there were the Odell comps when he came out. And full disclosure, Croc, I, I, I don't see – a receiver that stands out to me like, oh, he could be a number one top 10 type receiver because to me, all of those guys, the one trait they have in common is they're all really, really explosive and twitchy off the line of scrimmage. And to me, Ayuk is really smooth, but I don't see that one just random first step mm. burst that, you know, really separates them. And that's where the Odell comp to me is a little bit crazy because I remember young Odell, and young Odell could yeah. run by anybody <laughs> right off the line of scrimmage. He was just gone. And I don't see Ayuk as this guy that, you know, is just going to run by the best corners in the NFL and challenge them vertically every snap, which is usually what you look for uh, from a number one wide receiver. And to me, the other thing is I, I, I this was kind of his trouble, in my opinion, when he came out, too. And I, I don't know if it's gotten a lot better 
is I don't think he gets off of press at an extremely uh, uh, great rate. Like, I think sometimes he beats it. Like, you know, there's the one play that goes around when he beat Trey, uh, Trey White um, against Buffalo in Arizona on that Monday night game. He beat him when he was pressing him, and Trey White's as good as anybody at pressing. But in general, I don't think he gets off the line of scrimmage in a real hurry. So I, it's not that I think he's like a bad player or anything, but if we're going to this conversation of value, you just talked about it in cornerback versus pass rusher. And full disclosure, I actually agree with you in terms of the corners. Um, uh, the value to me of trading three picks for him or taking T. Higgins at 31 or taking Claypool at 31 or taking Pittman at 31, I, I tweeted about it yesterday. I would. I would have gone with one of those three at 31 because I don't see him as physically a far superior talent where you had to trade for him compared to just taking those guys and getting three extra players. Right. So uh, real quick, and this is a little bit off subject, we have a, a contribution right here from our guy, Keith. And he says, a lot of people don't understand the details of football. Most fans only watch their team. Do you think maybe that's why some people might be hyping Ayuk up a little bit more? And then we'll get to, I do want to ask you a little bit about maybe some of your thoughts of him coming out. I'll give my thoughts and my opinions on things that I thought he might be able to do and where he could grow. But do you think that's why maybe people hype him more? Because the only thing that they really know is a lot of what they see from the 49ers or maybe just random highlights from other guys. I think it's, I actually don't think it's that in Ayuk's case. I think this is a genuine case all around the NFL, right? Most people only watch their team because that's what they're interested in in and that's what they have time for right it's not like they're watching seven games in a weekend because they're really interested in seeing one team or one quarterback play in Ayuk's case to me I, I think it's just how he looks he looks how a receiver should look right he's uh like I mentioned really long really smooth athlete he's uh he's basically uh like his body is very well proportioned and you know you compare it and contrast it with uh Debo on the other hand you know who's doesn't really look how a receiver should look, but he moves to me more like how a number one receiver should move. So as a uh, uh, juxtaposed to Ayuk, like when I saw them in person, I, I keep saying the, I tweeted this out and people really push back. Cause you know, there's the GPS speed where Ayuk is, I think maybe faster. And I think Ayuk might have a faster 40 time than Debo. But when I saw them in person, Debo looked different compared to Ayuk. Like Debo moved like the fastest man on the football field in short spaces. Ayuk never looked like that to me. Uh, also, real quick, Debo actually had the faster forty. Oh, now there did. was the okay. there was the core muscle injury that Ayuk had, and people were saying, "Well, he plays much faster." And he did do some things to where it's like, "Okay, I could believe it when I'm catching mm -hmm. a slant and taking it to the house." But yeah, just in general, when you watch them, especially when you watch them with the ball in their hands. Debo looks like the much faster player. Yeah. And maybe Debo just plays at a faster speed. I don't know about GPS, but I know what I see. And Debo's catching slants and outrunning angles. We are yet to see IU do that. What is your pushback to people that say that ultimately it, it is Jimmy Garoppolo that has been holding back? Because I I actually touched on this uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe. And I said, he's not as... Everybody said, they're, they're, oh, it's, it's it's the quarterback. That That's what it is. And I'm like, well, I think he lacks getting separation. Now, again, you could point out certain times. You talked about the the one against Tredavious White. I saw somebody say, it wasn't Trey White. It was, uh, what did I see? Somebody in here said, it wasn't Trey White. It was Trey White. You're talking about 
Tredavious White in the slot. It was like a third down play or maybe a fourth down play where yep. he kind of made that bobble catch. All right, mm -hmm. and he ran like a little out and then back in. Awesome. And there's been other times where he's whooped guys. I remember him whooping uh, that the the Seahawks receiver in the in the end or uh, Seahawks DB in the end zone on the fade. He whooped mm -hmm. a guy in the Bears game from the uh, from the slot for the two point conversion. So it's not that he doesn't have the ability, but it's definitely a lot more inconsistent than I think one would probably like, right? Uh, yeah. When I was watching him in college, that was some of the same. Now, there were people that were like, oh, he lacks being able to get off the press. And I'm like, man, well, I'm seeing that he definitely has the ability. And a lot of the way that I go about it is looking at how does he make the cornerback feel? And I saw mm -hmm. more than enough times of him being able to spin guys around at the line of scrimmage, being able to beat press. But I did think it was something that was somewhat inconsistent, but I didn't think it was because he doesn't have the ability. And I, I'm mm -hmm. big on that. Like, if you have the ability... Jamar Chase, he's not a guy that gets off press well. But yes. Jamar uh, Jamar Chase also has 4-3 speed. So even though he doesn't get off press well, he's still able to win vertically. And if you watch the game against the Chiefs, what they do, hey, just run a go route and we're yeah. just going to throw it up to you. He has amazing body control. I think that's one other thing that's kind of lacking with Ayuk as well, the contested catches. You talked about the long arms. Everybody talked about the long arms. Coming out of college, the analytical guys were like, He's one of the worst in college football with contested catches. Has that been something that you feel like he still needs to improve on at this point, in, in, even in the NFL? I do think so. So I think the quarterback factor, it's maybe a small part of the problem, but I think it's maybe the smallest part of the problem. Like we have seen examples, right? The Cardinals game, he absolutely mossed. Uh, the guy near the end of the game uh, for the last touchdown, the one he caught. Like, we have seen moments, right, like you talked about the ability to get off press. We've seen the ability to be a consistent contested catcher, right? He uh, is strong in the air. He gets up. He has good hands. And so we see that ability. But I think the biggest issue with him, honestly, is the consistency. And the the lack of consistency kind of paired with the fact that, like, I don't see him, you know, just – being this physical freak like where you know it's like aj brown or dk metcalf or debo where they're just like some of the best athletes in the nfl like they're just so big and so fast it just that's kind of where i i, I agree with you that the contested catches could improve and you know maybe trey lance is going to give him more opportunities but i also don't see him as a guy that you know now that you remove garoppolo and trey lance is going to be more aggressive they're now going to take three or four shots to iu because a, a game because i don't see him you know, just beating guys vertically three or four times a game. Right. All right, here we go. A couple comments here. Uh, didn't IU beat Jair Alexander going line for a touchdown? Was that press or no? It wasn't yeah. press. Jair was off, and he ran a, like, a corner stop. Yeah, it was like yeah. a, like he pushed up, out, and then came back, and it was a good throw. Uh, again, not – we're not even saying that he just can't beat press, even though he, he didn't – that was off coverage. But it's, it's the consistency with it. And if you look at sometimes, somebody posted this video of, of Trey Lance throwing a stop route to him against the Arizona Cardinals. And there was no separation. The ball got batted right. down, but there was no separation. Even on the one where he did catch it, it was fourth down. And and the, the place that Lance had to throw that ball was outside had to like it had to be the most perfect throw because the coverage was that tight. I do think he kind of lacks sometimes uh getting that separation. We got our guy uh uh Jeep Crackhawk here. 
and he says it was Wallace for the Bills, not Trey White. Again, he, you're thinking about he different Wallace plays. Deep. He beat Wallace deep. We're talking about in the slot, it was a third down and like five play, and he ran the little squirrel route and kind of got off of Tredavious White and made like this diving catch. That was against White in the slot. The Wallace yeah. plays were all on the left side. All Brock, right. if you don't mind, one thing on the uh, Packers touchdown, to me that was more – I thought – Alexander got beat by the throw in, in that game more than Ayuk just beat him. He ran, like you said, that corner stop route. I think it's called the swirl route in Shanahan's playbook. Uh, Jimmy threw that ball with so much anticipation when Ayuk uh, came out of his break that I, I felt like Alexander had no chance. But I didn't think like he absolutely roasted Alexander out of the play where if he threw that a second late, I, Alexander wouldn't have had a chance on the ball. Now, here's a good thing right here, or a good note. Devontae Adams is more smooth than twitchy for a five speed. And we're not saying that you have to have speed to win. Now, obviously, it is something that helps, right? If you have that ability to threaten guys. But and my thing is someone asked on Twitter, they were like, hey, what's the what's the main thing that you look for in receivers? And my thing, like when you're evaluating prospects come out of college, and my thing was win the way that you win consistently. So maybe you're not a speed guy. Maybe you're not a super route running guy. Maybe you're not a twitched up guy. But if you can win how you win consistently and it not be an issue, you won't, you won't have, I won't have any problems with it. So if you watch Devontae Adams, he's not a speed guy, but he wins the way he wins consistently, right? Like you can count on that. Now, there might be times that because he wins a certain way, he might lose reps. And we saw that on like a fourth down play in the game that just passed. It was a was that Sunday night or Monday night mm -hmm. or whatever Sunday night, you know, there was a play he was locked up because sometimes he doesn't create that separation, but more times than not, you can count on Devonte Adams being able to win the way that he wins. And he definitely has a different type of Twitch, a different type of understanding of how to create separation. And those weren't things that even though he did kill like that at Fresno state. And if he went to a power five, he probably would have been a higher draft pick, but those weren't things that he just came into the league and he like just got it. It actually took Devontae Adams several years to become the player that he is today. So we're not saying that the book is out on IU and that we don't think that he's a good football player. We just think that there is a chance that 49er players or fans are over overrating him in the sense of what they think that he is. Now, what I want to ask you, and then we'll get on to the next topic. Do you see it improving with him. Yes, I do see it improving. I mean, if you remember, Devontae Adams had a really, really bad second year. That was the year Jordy Nelson got hurt and people were really, really out. And so like, and Ayuk has certainly had a better second season that Devontae Adams had. Devontae Adams was creating no separation. I think he was like league worst in separation and Aaron Rodgers had maybe his worst season in like five years and people were really out on Adams because they felt like you know without Jordy Nelson things weren't just working for that offense and look at where he is now and I do see it improving my question that I would throw back to you is I feel like Adams's uh improvement and his technical proficiency at this point in his career do you think that that's something that you can expect another player to follow? Because I don't know if we've seen, you know, somebody get that much better where they just become like you said, he was amazing at Fresno state. I remember that he was really good too, but 
for a guy, you know, that is more of a smooth guy and not twitchy, he just kills people off the line of scrimmage and he attacks leverage like nobody else. Do you see that as something where somebody can improve to that point to become that because, you know, they don't move like Jamar Chase? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he'll be able to do it like Jamar Chase or like a Devontae Adams or anything like that, like to that extent. But can you do it to where you are much improved over where you are now? And I, and I think the answer to that is yes, right? I always say if you have the ability, then you have the ability to improve, right? I don't think it's necessarily uh, not having the ability to have Twitch. I, I've seen it, but it's the consistency. Now, how do you improve on that? It's you got to work and you got to get out of your comfort zone. And maybe that's what the 49ers are trying to do with him when he was kind of in Kyle's doghouse, right? Get out of your comfort zone. Understand the details in which it takes to run these routes. You know, he has Wes Welker as a receiver coach. Now, Wes Welker, I know he's going to be viewed as this little slot white guy that maybe wasn't fast, but he was a great punt returner. He was a terrific receiver. You know, he was... Someone, I believe Wes Walker had like 1,500-yard seasons or something like that. Like, Wes Walker used to go crazy. And Wes Walker understood what he had to do to win and get open. So if Ayuk wants to take his game to the next level, a lot of it is, hey, let me talk to Wes Walker. Let me see the little nuances of how he did it and actually work on those things. Let me stay after practice and work on those things. Let me get with Walker in the offseason. Another great guy, which I don't know if guys are going to have access to him now because he's now coaching in the NFL, but Dub Williams, Keith Williams, shout out to the, the 209 homie, Stock California. We actually went to the same high school, Toke. He's older than me, though. But Keith Williams, he trains Devontae Adams. He trains uh, Tyreek Hill. Matter of fact, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, after his rookie year, which was okay, but he's like, man, I want to take my game to the next level. Tyreek Hill reached out to Dub and was like, hey, man, like, help me. And we've seen Tyreek Hill improve drastically as a pure route runner and not just be a guy that has to rely on speed. Devontae Adams, for his first couple of uh, games, he got away from Doug. Doug was a coach at Fresno State. He recruited Devontae Adams. He had Devontae Adams that whole time. He killed it. He went away from uh, Doug Williams uh, uh, for the first part of his career. And then he said, I got to get back in the lab. He got back in the lab after like year three or something like that. And now we've seen what's happened to him. He's been more consistent. The little nuances they ha they talk, they have these conversations. So I think with with when it comes to Ayuk, it's gonna be getting out of your comfort zone, going to a guy like Keith Williams, which again I don't I don't know if he's accessible now because he's coaching receivers for the Ravens. That just happened this year, but he got to get out of his comfort zone. And I think if he does that, he can he can eventually he could take his game to the next level. Will he ever be elite? I, I don't know. I don't put that on people, but. I think we we can get more out of them from a separation standpoint. I see someone talk about uh, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen was a dog at he was a dog at Cal. I watched Keenan Allen at Cal. He was a dog. But here's another guy who he's not the fastest guys, but he wins how he wins consistently. He plays fast. Uh, I talk to these guys. They work on speed out in Florida, and they talk about having high end controlled speed. And one thing about guys, some of these guys that run in the four or fives, but still play fast, they have what you call high-end control speed and understand how to run routes at top speed, as opposed to somebody like Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs is fast, right? Faster than everybody in the league. But does he have high-end control speed to where I can win with my speed, uh, but also know how to pull on the brakes, also know how to play with pace and 
make moves and still be able to get in and out of my cuts fast, right? That's things that make like Jerry Judy special with what he does. So I do think there's definitely uh, room for growth with our guy, uh, Brandon Ayuk. We have a super chat here. I think Ayuk's problem is he hasn't learned all the details of route running. Once he gets that, he will be fine. I would say, yeah, right. Like, yes, that that's true, but you still have to put in a certain amount of work to get it. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that Ayuk is bad. I just am saying there's definitely room for improvement, and I'm not sure he's who the fans think he is right now. That's not saying he can't get there or won't be that, but there is some room that, you know, the work that needs to be done. Um, yeah, go ahead. If you don't mind, I just want to ask two questions before we uh, put a bow on this topic. Uh, my first question is, do you have any worries? Like, I, I don't want to say it's like an alpha mentality because that's not what I, I'm intending. But when you see Ayuki's a little more reserved and a little more passive, which is totally fine. I mean, Debo's a little more reserved guy too. But you see like a Debo, a Jamar Chase, a Justin Jefferson, a DeAndre Hopkins, these number one wide receivers, they ha seem to have this aggression uh, kind of takeover mentality that I don't know if I necessarily see from Ayuk does that. You know, it's not like he's Dante Pettis, but it's not like he's, you know, Jamar Chase, where he just ex uh, exudes this, you know, just alpha confidence. Is that something that concerns you? Is that something you look for when you're looking for a top receiver? Um, I mean, the first thing I look for is ability. Now, obviously, if you if you feel like and you never really know, like, right, everybody thinks, oh, you draft a guy and it's like, well, you draft him high, he's a wide receiver yeah. one. Or if you draft him low, he's not a wide receiver one. And really, a lot of times you never know. And sometimes it's hard, especially in the evaluation process, to know if a guy has that mentality. Now, a guy like DK, we he he does. D, DK is an alpha. Now, does DK being an alpha mean that he's better than Debo Samuel, who might not be as demonstrative about, you know, with how he plays? You know, I, I you know, whatever. But... Yeah, I, some guys are just a little bit more reserved, but I do think if you kind of look at the top receivers in the league, they do kind of carry themselves a certain way. Look at the Mike Evans, look at the DeAndre Hopkins, look at De Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, although he is more reserved, if you look at how he carries himself, he definitely carries himself as an alpha. So I, I see what you're saying. I think, I guess if you look at the top guys, maybe you do need that. My My thing would be, did did the did Devonte Adams have that in his first three years, right? Or mm -hmm. did he kind of grow into having that? So I think when we look at Ayuk, maybe that's it. Where it's like, hey, maybe he needs to grow into having more of that outgoing attitude. And sometimes that comes with just being more comfortable with who you are and where you are and where you stand with the team. Again, mm -hmm. it's hard to be the alpha when you've been chewed out for the first half of the season, right. and in the media they're telling you that you are not as good as you think, or you need to do these things to get better. All right. So, right. you know, we'll, we'll see how he comes along, but I definitely think that alpha mentality helps guys really be that wide receiver one. No, that's but, definitely fair. And that's what I wanted to ask. And then the other thing, if you don't mind real quick, I just wanted to put you on the quick spot. Um, Given what we've seen in the first two years, do you think the Niners made the right decision to trade up for him as opposed to just staying, standing pat and taking a Higgins, taking a Claypool and taking a Pittman? Because where I stand is it comes back to this question of value. And to me, in the deepest receiver class of all time, I don't understand trading up 
for a wide receiver unless you're trading up you know for a guy you think is julio jones but you don't expect to draft julio jones at 25 usually right so it's it's tough i i would not have traded up for him because of where i had him in my personal rankings you mentioned guys like um you know higgins you mentioned guys like Pittman. You know, Claypool, I didn't have Claypool high either. But there were guys that went after him that I had ahead of him. Now, again, you you watch him his rookie year, and you can justify it. Whatever's going on right now, there's just a little inconsistencies, right? But I don't think anybody – like right now, if we ask the fan base, maybe because they've watched more of IU, but I think if you ask the rest of the world, hey, who would you rather have, IU or T. Higgins? What percentage of people – yeah, I mean – you know what I'm saying? And Tegan went after mm-hmm. him. So because of, like you said, as far as value goes, and I have a big issue with the 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 value of the receiver in the draft, I feel like you can – I wouldn't draft like Jamar Chase, and he's amazing right now. I would not have drafted him top five or probably even top ten. The only pass catcher I would have taken top ten was Pitts. Pitts. And my reasoning for that is it's easy to, uh, you know, create productivity for receivers in today's game because it's so spread out and so wide open. Now, maybe the 49ers were thinking about it as, hey, I I want a guy who can win on slants right now. We feel like he has that ability, so we're trading up for that. Mm-hmm. Then I think they might be overvaluing their process. You know, but I get it. Okay, I see what you did, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know, but you might be overvaluing it as opposed to just saying, hey, Michael Pittman, who is my wide receiver four in that class, because I had um I had uh I had uh, uh the receiver C. from Lamb. Dallas Cowboys, CD Lamb number one, I had uh C uh, uh Judy number two, Justin Jefferson number three, and I actually in little mocks had the 49ers trading. I thought the 49ers were drafting Justin Jefferson. I didn't know how they were gonna do it because I knew thir- at pick 13 it was a little rich. But I felt like he was going to be a 49er, maybe in a little trade back. So when they trade back to 14, I'm like, damn, are they going to do it? But it was still weird because you had you had Lamb still on there. You had Judy still on them. And I'm like, I don't know. But I, I, I would have taken – like I thought Jefferson was going to be a 49er. That's where I kind of was. And mm-hmm. I was talking about getting him in the trade back. Matter of fact, I did a mock where with the uh, nothing but Niner guys, I traded back to pick 18 and drafted Justin Jefferson. So that's who I thought was going to be a 49er. Uh, clearly, he's not. But that was me actually trading back. You're getting draft capital, and you're still taking a guy who, as we see now, extremely productive. They traded up for Ayuk. And I think when you look at who they trade up for, Ayuk, Pettis, they kind of are overvaluing their, their receiver position and how they're doing it. And you would think they would learn from the first time as opposed to waiting for a guy like Debo, right? Okay, matter of fact, here's here. From what I've heard, they liked uh, the receiver, uh, Nikhil Harry, more than they liked Debo Samuel. They had Nikhil Harry high. They did not trade up for Nikhil Harry, though, right, like they did for Dante Mm -hmm. Pettis. They stayed pat, and they drafted Debo Samuel, and he's by far, it's not even close, the better receiver. Yeah. I think they should have used that same logic, and it's like, hey, if Ayuk is there at 31 or wherever they were 30, wherever they were drafted at that time, then okay, we take him. If he's not, then hey, Michael Pittman, I like his skill set, his ability. T. Higgins, he brings something we don't have. You know, you start looking at these other receivers that can 
do as much, if not more, but maybe they don't just 100% win on slants. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just kind of my, maybe the way that they go through their process is a little off. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then I, I kind of feel similarly. So I'm glad to hear you explain it because yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Right. Now I do want to ask you because I haven't gotten your opinion on, on uh, Trey Lance, but you and I talked about him in the off season. We did a whole show. It got a lot of views too. We did a show and we were talking about who, you know, a comp for him. Was this pre, was this pre-draft or post-draft? No, this was after they drafted him. We talked okay, about him versus Josh Allen. We talked about so that. Josh Allen, and we compared him with, uh, to another uh, quarterback. All right. First, I just want to ask you, do you still feel right about where your evaluation was? Because I've actually flipped a little bit. But we went in there. Everybody was saying, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. You were like, no, I think he's more Dak Prescott. Do, mm-hmm. do you still feel that same way? Yeah, I do. I remember watching Josh Allen's rookie year. There was not a game anywhere near the Texans game. In fact, there was not a game that was even, (laughs) you know, like the Cardinals game. Everything was just reckless, off schedule, backyard football. One play would be the greatest play you've ever seen. One play would be the worst play you've ever seen. Josh Allen was a Peaks and Valley experience in Wyoming. He was a Peaks and Valley experience his first year in Buffalo. To me, Trey Lance plays with a much more control uh, than – Josh Allen, I think Dak Prescott is a comparison in terms of his poise and how controlled he is his and how play style. So yes. not, not um, as much the physical traits, right. but just play style, mindset, how they how they, it's it's more comparable to Dak Prescott right. than it is uh it's very cerebral, uh very controlled, very well played within structure, a lot of great decisions. He's obviously more diff, uh, physically gifted than Prescott. He's Dak Prescott plus. He's he's not as bigger, but he's as big. He's faster. He's got a stronger arm. So it's like Dak Prescott on steroids. But to me, I, I still really, really like that comp. So we got Jeep Crackhawk. And, I, and Jeep, I, I'm not sure if you are uh, uh, trolling, but he said Trey Lance was the Peaks and Valley experience this past Sunday. I have to completely agree, disagree. I, I think your perception of Peaks and Valley is skewed. You'd have to go and watch Josh Allen and look at Josh Allen from his rookie year, and then you'll understand more of what Vish is saying. Is he talking about Allen maybe this weekend? No, I think he's talking about Trey Lance. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, he's talking about Oh, Allen. he said he was talking about Allen. Okay. Okay, so I didn't watch the Bills game Sunday. Okay, he's talking about. Okay, my bad, my bad, Jeep. He's talking about. He said, "No, I was talking about Allen." Oops, where we go? I was talking about Allen. Here we go. So, um, yeah, the 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 peaks and the peaks and valleys experience with with Allen. It was not comparable to what we've seen so far from Trey Lance. I think for me, the thing that you can compare is some some of the issues with not 100% knowing exactly what you're going to get, right? Um, especially early on. And I think early on, if you looked at a lot of what Trey Lance, they're putting it on the finger while he was a little inaccurate. I don't think that's the case because I watched him against the Chargers. I watched him against, um, right. in, in the first game, he missed throws too. So it wasn't just the finger thing. I think he just was a little rushed. And that reminded me a lot of a Josh Allen when you watched him. It, again, Josh Allen, it was much more drastic or much more exaggerated, but you just saw the, the wild misses, the, 
Okay, you got a slant, it's wide open, you throw it five yards over somebody's head. You're firing everything in there a thousand miles an hour. I thought his arm actually got much stronger <laughs> than it was in college. Um, and as you would expect, I guess, for someone who is 19 years old playing, he's still very young, youthful, a baby, as opposed to 21 years old. He's starting to grow and mature into his body. So you see the arm get a little bit stronger. What what improvements have you seen from Trey Lance from preseason, his first start against the Cardinals, and now at least against Houston Texans? The number one thing is speed of play. Uh, I, you know, I didn't think, especially the Cardinals game, that, you know, he was this bad decision maker. I thought for the most part he would get, like, and get to the right spot uh, for a lot of the plays in terms of where he was looking, where he was looking to throw the ball. I just felt like, you know, he was still adjusting to the fact that the NFL is a lot faster than the FCS. And then the other thing I would say that he's improved a lot is just trusting what he sees and letting it rip. I think even in the beginning of the Texans game, if you go back and watch the film, there's a couple of moments of hesitation from Trey Lance where he sees it, but he's not pulling the trigger fully. And he still made some positive plays in those plays itself. It was just that, you know, maybe a veteran quarterback like Garoppolo just, you know, throws throws it right when it's open and takes what the defense gives him immediately as opposed to Lance, you know, who ran around a little bit. The first play that comes to mind is the end zone play that he rolled out. And I think it was his first completion of the game and threw the ball to Ayuk near the sideline. It was a great play, but I think he had the slant to Ayuk open right away. He just didn't take it. He passed it up. But that improved also as the game went on, where once he was seeing it, he was just letting it go. So to me, it was just comfortability. I still think, like, you, I think you and I have actually kind of talked about this on Twitter. He's, like, when people say he isn't accurate, I do push back on that. I do think he's a pretty accurate quarterback. At this point, I don't think he's a very precise quarterback, and I mean right. that by, like, ball placement, where he's usually, like, near the target on where it's supposed to go. It's just not always in the perfect exact spot. I thought that was better, honestly, on yeah. uh, on Sunday. Like, if you want to compare it to Garoppolo, who is our immediate comparison, Garoppolo is not a very precise quarterback either. I thought Trey Lance threw, like, four slants that were some of the best slants thrown by a 49ers quarterback this season. The one to Ayuk that was just a rocket. The one that he had the big game because Justin Reed missed right. the tackle. There were two to Debo. The first one to Debo, I, I thought it was going to go through his chest. It was thrown so hard, but he threw it so accurately. And then the other one, Debo dropped. So I, I Yo, thought you want to talk I, about accurate too. I think one of his more, most accurate throws was the the go route to Ayuk down the right sideline. Yes. That was, I think, to me. And again, I've talked about. Jimmy Garoppolo and his ability to throw the deep ball. And, and I and I always talk about people like, oh, he can't throw the deep ball. He can't throw the deep ball. To me, throwing the deep ball, it's all about confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's all about confidence. It's all about, okay, I'm just going to let it rip. I'm confident the ball is going to go where I need it to go. And when you see that, he was looking left, and he came off of it. He actually had some things come open left. But he came off of it, and he goes right, and he just lets it rip. Right. And he throws a ball in the most perfect spot right over the outstretched arm of the defender and and really gives his receiver an opportunity to catch it. Now, obviously, he had one hand behind his back because the defensive back was pulling on it. But in a sense of accuracy, that was one of – you talked about the slants, and I think that's good that it's like, hey, you think these are some of his most accurate throws? I think this is his most accurate. Yeah. That means he's doing pretty good with his accurate and ball accuracy and ball placement, especially on difficult throws. Now, right. outside the numbers, I thought he did good more, more times than not. 
there was one he kind of hopped. He missed Debo. I think it was in like the two-minute drill mm -hmm. before halftime. He was kind of rolling out right, and he missed Debo. He kind of – Debo was going this one. He kind of threw it, whatever. But he there was one where on the play-action boot, he stopped, moved, pumped, like kind of pumped. Got oh, the Sherfield throw. Yeah, and I mean – That see, was so, a dot. And, and this is my issue with a lot of people pushing back on his first-half performance. They're like, oh, the fourth, first half. And it's like, man, I, I could show you plenty of times where – First half, I thought he made good throws. Yeah, now he did have the interception. You could tell that he wasn't as comfortable, but I pushed back on the first half being as bad as people kind of are saying in their head. I think not getting the points and, and maybe the result kind of skews that a little bit. But I thought first, I was like, man, it'd be at 10 to 13 and making some of those throws that he made in the first half is bad, Trey Lance then this dude's going to be pretty damn yeah. good. And I think we saw the improvement even in, the, even from the first half, which I thought was really good. Well, I thought was good for him, second start. And then what he did in the second half, I was like, all right, we, we uh, got so something. I think the first half was kind of a perception problem with how the entire game went for the 49ers. I think a lot of the first half, it reminded you a little bit of the Cardinals game, right? The first drive, them not throwing the ball at all, then failing on the fourth down and all of that. And I think because, like you mentioned, they didn't score, people just looked at it as he played poorly. Honestly, when I went back and watched, every time he threw the ball, I thought he made a really, really good throw in the first half for the most part. I mean, there were he was 10 for 13. There were a couple misses, but I thought he threw the ball exceptionally well. I thought it was just Shanahan getting more and more comfortable with just letting him go back and letting it rip off play action and all of that, I really thought that was the case. And if we're speaking of great throws, he had one on third and 19. They didn't get the first down, so it'll be forgotten. It was like an eight, 17-yard gain to Juwan Jennings. To Juwan in Jennings. A really oh, tight window. He put that low and away exactly where you need to. That was awesome. I think it's going to be all right. We, we got some people uh, disagreeing with us on the whole trade value thing. So, oh, real quick, before before it's we get that, um, I want to ask you, and this is my final things, and then I usually go for about 15 more minutes. I want to let callers get on and maybe they can ask us both questions. I definitely want to hear Chris's opinion on sure. the whole trade value thing. But if you were the 49ers coach and you have Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo both 100% healthy, who are you starting against the Rams? I mean, I would have started Trey Lance week one. I, <laughs> I'm starting Trey Lance. To me, he, to me, he's just a more confident player I think at this point than Garoppolo I think he plays with just more confidence than Garoppolo he's naturally very confident we can see it every time he plays whether he's missing throws or he isn't or he's making throws he he plays with a lot more confidence obviously he's athletically more gifted but I also think that he, hold on real quick. honestly I think he's more confident I I think his confidence comes more from his ability than it is his confidence in the playbook and sure. I think that's the thing that might worry a guy like Kyle Shanahan a little bit and make him, if Jimmy is 100% healthy, which he said he doesn't expect him to be, I think that's why he would probably go or lean more towards Jimmy G. I agree with that. And I also think if you're going against the Rams, you have to take into account the situation, season on the line, must win, division rival on the road. You've seen Garoppolo play well in this situation. Week 17 versus Seattle kind of similar situation, different circumstances. It wasn't your season was on the line, but you needed the one seed. And he went out and played 
pretty well in that game. I think he was like 18 for 22 for 285 yards. So I understand all of that. But to me, like the one thing I would push back on and the reason I would go for Trey Lance is in the little time, two and a half games we've been able to see him. The one thing that's just stood out the most to me is, wow, he's a really fast learner. He gets really, really like he gets better as the game goes on in every one of these games. It feels like he makes a mistake early in that game. And the next time he immediately corrects that mistake, which is not something you see a lot from Garoppolo. And that's where, to me, it's even more exciting. And I wish we got to see him play all year because to me, there's no telling how much better he could have gotten because he seems to be a really, really fast learner. Like he seems to adjust um, and make a lot of mental adjustments as the game is going, which is really, really cool to see. We got uh, our guy Jason Taylor right here. Uh, probably not to be confused with Jason Taylor of the Miami Dolphins, a formerly the Miami Dolphins. He said, you guys are tripping. And I wonder what we're tripping about because we're actually on two. I, I would probably lean more towards Garoppolo in this situation. You're leaning towards Trey Lance in this situation. So, Jason, are we both tripping and there's no right answer or one of us? Because we are on two different sides here. I'd love for you to come on and kind of give your opinion on that. I, I also want to give everybody the option to come on so you can come on live. I'm putting the link in the chat right now. All right, here we go. And feel free, come on, and you'll be able to ask Vish anything. You can ask myself anything. Uh, and we'll be on for another, you know, 10, 15 minutes and, you know, talk about whatever is on your mind. I appreciate everybody that's on here right now. If you do like this show, because there's almost 400 of you in here, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Chris said, Croc, don't play it safe. I'm not playing it safe. I, I'm looking at it from this standpoint. Why has Tri why has Kyle Shanahan went with Trey Lance? I mean, uh, excuse me. Why has he went with Jimmy Garoppolo? And I feel like it's because the known, like I know what I'm getting from him. I know Jimmy's going to throw an intercept or weird pass or whatever, but also know I'm going to get a good last second drive. I also know I'm going to get, uh, he's not going to get flustered by what he's seeing for the most part from a defense. Again, he might miss a robber. He might, you know what I'm saying? But I know what I'm going to get from him. Yeah. And I know that within that, I still can beat the, the, the Rams in this must-win game. All right? So it's not even so much that I'm, I'm playing it safe. I guess it, it is playing it safe, but I'm not playing it safe for the audience. I'm playing it safe in the sense of, like, kind of what I would do. Now, again, I would have also started Trey Lance from week one. Jimmy Garoppolo would not have been on the roster. I would have just said we're going all in with the rookie and we're going to learn. Mm -hmm. well, the right way to do it the way Kyle Shanahan did or the wrong way? I, I don't know. We, and we'll never know. I'd say right now, Kyle Shanahan is looking like what he did has worked. Now, could Trey Lance, you know, would he have developed faster? Or I, I don't know the answer to that. But I, I, I wouldn't have had Jimmy on the roster. So, yeah, there's that. And that. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. And the one thing I will also say is that I don't think Garoppolo is fully healthy. I think the entire reporting on the situation is weird. First, it was a sprain. Then it was a break. Then Kyle Shanahan, you know, readjusted and explained fully why he didn't, why he called it a sprain. Then he said he doesn't need surgery. Then Sunday before the game, Ian Rappaport is reporting, oh, he needs surgery. You know, he's going to get it this offseason. Then they said he said he was going to play as long as he could grip the ball. But then he didn't practice all week because I guess he couldn't grip the ball well enough. So with all that going on, I don't know how his thumb is just going to magically get better enough for him to play in this game, Matt. Kyle Shanahan does not expect him to be 100%. He said it. He's like, yeah, if he's yeah. 100%, and that's out of respect, right? 
and like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's won a lot of games with us. I know we can win with him. Like, I'm not just going to replace him because mm -hmm. Trey Lance played well for a game when Jimmy has done that in several games throughout his time with the 49ers. So, but he's like, but I don't expect him to be 100%. So, <laughs> I, I think Kyle is planning to play this game with Trey Lance and we're going to ride and die uh, with the rookie. And I like it. A lot on the and line. Me, me too. And the one thing I'll say for those who say, oh, we need Jimmy's quick release to beat the Rams. I saw that in the comment section right away. I think that's why they said I was tripping at least. I don't know about you because you said you would play Jimmy. Um, they beat the Rams with Nick Mullins on the road just a year ago. Beating the Rams has been more about Debo Samuel and this defense just being all over McVay's offense, in my opinion, than it has been about the quarterback per se it's been more of a coach being just better in terms of the schematics and then uh Debo all right we said I see somebody said is this Tuesday with Vish great talk guys uh Vish is out of school right now so you know his morning's kind of freed up right now so we'll try to get him on again before his uh morning start to kind of close up because he has school uh ready to graduate all right uh we got Roscoe's on so come on Chris let us hear it well first off I want to say, finally, 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 you got Vish on the show. Godly, man. <laughs> Vish forever. What's up, Vish? Vish is my what's, guy. Vish is what's up, legend. Chris? I call, Vish, I call Vish a legend, so, you know, everybody know. If I'm coming at Vish, it's only because, you know, I did my research on some things. But, Vish, you are a legend. Croc, you know, you're a legend, too, uh, like both y'all. First off, I want to say this, Croc. I'm, I'm mad at you, Croc. Uh the reason people don't succeed in life is because they are afraid of the unknown. When you take the path of the unknown, it could take you to levels that you've never been, or you could go back. But I'd rather go with the unknown than going with something that's been steady all my life, but that hasn't take, taken me over the top. Okay, so Croc, okay, okay. And Croc, you know this better than anybody. Yeah. You went with the unknown in your life, so... Right. Let's not play it safe. We don't play it safe around here. You're man. right. My bad. My bad. I lost who I was. Okay, Voltaire. <laughs> but as far as the AU thing goes, first off, when y'all talk about value, what what is the value? Like, what are you talking about as far as value? Because we traded, we traded uh for Kim, we traded back with with Kit to, and we took Kinlaw and we got pick one seventeen and we gave pick one seventeen away and one seventy six. So really, what did we lose? Like, what are you talking about value? Like, can y'all explain that to me? Well, just because the value, just because you you got something in return for someone, doesn't mean that giving up what you got makes it less valuable of a pick. But I mean, I mean, I, we're talking about the value of a receiver. So yeah, again, no, and, and, like like Bish was saying, unless we're talking about Calvin Johnson or or. Goddamn Julio Jones or even AJ Green coming out that you're trading up for. What's the value of Ayuk over Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, and some of those guys? Yeah. Okay. And I, 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 okay. Go, Vish. I'm sorry. In, in the Niners case, right? They made it clear that they traded up because they felt that, you know, as compared to everybody else who did not feel this way, you know, they felt like Ayuk was in kind of the middle tier of that, those receivers in the draft with all the guys Croc named. The Niners said they felt him and CeeDee Lamb were a step above. So they felt the value at 25 was fantastic. But then to me, that then leads to what Croc mentioned. Is there a question of their process? Are they overvaluing specific things with a wide receiver? Because 
you know, it doesn't look good when Justin Jefferson might be one of the three best receivers in the NFL. And you said, oh, for us, it was CeeDee Lamb and Brandon Ayuk. Those were the by far the two best receivers in that draft. Okay, so here, hang on, this is what I got to say. First off, I'm very happy that the 49ers didn't draft uh, Justin Jefferson. You know why? Because Justin Jefferson was not going to have uh, back-to-back. I don't even know how many yards he has this season. But he wasn't going to set uh, one of the uh, rookie records with 1,400 yards and then have another. might have 1,500 yards right now. And have 1,500 yards this season. I'm glad Justin Jefferson is not a 49er because Jimmy Garoppolo was not going to help Justin Jefferson reach his potential like Kirk Cousins, who was 10 times better than Jimmy Garoppolo will ever be. I wanted, Wait, I wanted, whoa! Yeah. You think well, so? 10 times better? Oh, he is 10 times better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I am a Justin Jefferson fan. I'm I'm a Michael Pittman fan. I want these you know players to succeed. So I'm glad Justin Jefferson didn't come to the Niners because we wouldn't see him uh, tapping into his full potential. Jimmy G is not the quarterback for that. With the way we use Debo, a lot of it is uh, yards after catch. A lot of it is you know doing a lot of just different things with Debo, and Justin Jefferson is not getting that with the 49ers. And I will put whatever income i got on that and then as far as michael pittman now you know he's a usc guy i i would have loved you know for the niners to take michael pittman i i i don't see first off you got to look you got to look at them in AU. AU is not getting the same targets as pittman or higgins is getting higgins got 122 targets uh what i uh, know 100 100 and i think he got 110 i'm sorry he got 110 Pittman got a, like 120 something compared 124. to 124. Com- I saw you tweeted to, it this morning. Yeah, compared to AU 77 targets. Those guys were not going to get those same targets as AU. So the the way we're looking at AU is not even fair because the Niners don't even give them the opportunities to do what those other guys do. Also, AU is actually really having the same se- season he had as a rookie. It's the same numbers literally down Yeah, but he played 12 through. games as a rookie. He, yes, he. But uh, yes, but <laughs> hold on. Yes, he did. But he's still having he's still having a, a same same year. Oh, he played in fifteen. He only missed one game actually. He he played in fifteen. He he didn't start. He started twelve games as a rookie. He played in fifteen. No, he only okay. missed he one missed, game. Because he, no, he missed the missed first the, game of the year. He played he in the first game only. of the year. He missed yeah, the first he missed game the and then he missed game. the last games. And he, he missed had the game. Yeah, he, 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 he had COVID. But what I'm saying though is he's pretty no, much he got the same. The last game, the last yeah, game he, he, pretty, he pretty much got the same amount of targets, same amount of everything. Like I mean, it's actually no, he had more targets. He had more targets his rookie year. He had ninety something targets as a rookie. He's only got seventy this year. So it doesn't even matter about the games played. He had more opportunities as a rookie, but he's still putting up the same numbers this year with less opportunities. Yeah, so but I, I think he, the way y'all are looking at this is. Oh well, Pittman and Higgins. Higgins has got a quarterback that's throwing him, launching him deep balls. That's not Jimmy game. So let's throw that out the window. But do you think that that's, so, that's been Ayuk's skill set, even when he has had those opportunities downfield? He he barely get those opportunities. I mean, he finally got those opportunities with uh. Trey Lance. Okay, so Chris, we lost him. Oh no, no, I'm Chris. back. I'm, my oh, okay. mom was calling. 
He was barely he barely got those opportunities. Oh, I gotta clock in for work. He was barely get those. He barely's getting those opportunities. With Jimmy Garoppolo. He finally got to see some against the uh, against the Texans. I guarantee you. Now with Trey Lance, you're gonna see a full thing of uh, AU. Maybe not this year, but next year. But I, I just think trying to say he's not because really we didn't lose anything trading for him. I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna have to disagree with y'all on that. Trading for him didn't really hurt. It didn't really literally didn't lose anything. I think what we're saying is did it help. I think that's yeah. the question you should be asking. My, well, my question is, does it hurt though? It doesn't hurt, doesn't help, maybe. I think we're just in a it's a moot point. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't help. Because again, those receivers that we're trying to compare them to have gotten way better opportunities, got way better quarterbacks. So I mean, what are we what are okay. we doing here? I think it's just so a moot TBA. Point. So what we'll, we'll way yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember T. Higgins looking pretty good when Brandon Allen was playing quarterback for him. I don't think Carson Wentz is a real world beater. In fact, I think Carson Wentz is in the same conversation as Garoppolo in terms of quarterback. He's just more physically gifted. I would say they're somewhere in the same tier. Pittman's killing it with him in a run-first offense. Um, I think Ben Roethlisberger is worse than Garoppolo by a considerable amount. Especially, I mean, did you see Ben Roethlisberger last night? Claypool is having a solid season in terms no, of the no, 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 no. Claypool is having Claypool has had one touchdown this whole year, has the same numbers as AU, and has got one touchdown. He is not a is world leader this receiving? year. They're in the same conversation. What say it again? I think he has 800 yards receiving Claypool. I think yeah, him and I yeah, yeah, have... but he has one touchdown. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, if there's no, I mean, again, it's back to a moot point. Claypool has a trash quarterback. Not really doing that. But, I mean, last year when Big Ben was a little bit better, you know, he put up some numbers. But at the end of the day, I mean, like it's a moot point because Claypool, he's not really doing nothing different than AU, except AU got a couple more touchdowns. So, Chris, where I'll push back is the first thing on the targets, right? Hold on so, real quick. Some people are asking no. what we're talking about. So what we're talking about is Vish and I – said that 49ers potentially overvalue uh, the trading up for receivers in the draft and that that could be like a skewed thing in their philosophy as opposed to waiting for guys to come to them when it comes to receivers. That That's but, but the initial I, conversation. I would say this, y'all, Chris y'all said we not, were wrong. I would say y'all are not wrong on when they traded up for Pettis. They highly – overvalued Pettis. Even you can't though pick and choose, did. though. You can't yeah. pick and choose. Well, no, no, no. Because no, because in the draft, it's different. You have to pick and choose. There's different. Look, we took Debo Samuel. I know, Croc, you said that, oh, well, the Niners like uh, 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 what's his name? Um, what's the dude name? Number number one on the, uh, uh, number, the former Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry. But you know what? We didn't pick him. We picked uh, Debo. We got our guy. And then we picked Pettis. I mean... I don't really see that as a. I, I don't. That the only person we overvalue is Pettis. Okay, so here's the thing, Chris. When you talk about the targets, the first thing, of course, he had more targets last year. Majority of the season, he was the one focal point weapon of this offense. And I do think, from in terms of how well he played, I do think the way Kyle Shanahan used him and the scheme aspect of it has to do with how good his numbers were, especially for points last year. I mean, we saw Richie James have a historic game on Thursday night football, nine catches, 183 yards, playing a role that was envisioned for Ayuk in that game because Ayuk had COVID. And Kyle Shanahan, when he has one focal point of the offense, he does a really good job of featuring him. 
So that's what I will say in terms of the targets. Two, I don't think in terms of the 77 targets, I don't think he's played at a level where they should be targeting him 10 or 12 times a game. To me, Croc, you can push back at, at this if I'm wrong, but to me, there's only one route that he's consistently winning on, and it's really that backside. They call it the looky route. It's a backside slant. He is consistently winning on that route to me. I, I don't know. And I, I think every other route, it's like inconsistent. Sometimes he wins. Sometimes he doesn't. That, so, I, I would uh, see that's when we would need film. Uh, we would need Odell's da, uh, dad to point out that type of stuff. Hey, this guy's open all the time. Okay. I, I, I can't say that. Like I, there's, you have to show me on film where he's not winning a lot or he's not getting open because again, I think a lot of this is not fair because of who we have at quarterback. I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is trash, but for your number two receiver to get like a lot of targets, like you got to look at the Bengals, right? Look at the Bengals offense. Jamar Chase, 124 targets. Higgins, 110 targets. And I don't even know how many uh, targets Boyd has. I'm pretty sure he's near in, in the hundreds too. We're offering, our offense is not built like that because we have to play to the strengths of our quarterback. And as one and two of you, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not built like that. I'm going to leave it at that guy. Y'all have a blessed one. <laughs> Vince, right, you're legendary. Croc, you legendary. And y'all can push back as I get off. I got to start work, guys. <laughs> All right, Chris. <laughs> now, I love when Chris comes on. He's definitely opinionated. Someone said you can't label a guy a bust. Or, or I think that's essentially what they're... Nobody said Ayuk was a bust. I, I didn't say that, at least. I like Ayuk. No. I, we asked, were fans kind of overrating him in, in the eyes, in the way that they view him, in the sense of what they thought he would potentially be. And a lot of people said they felt like it was the quarterback situation holding him back. And that's something that we're, we're going to find out. But to me, it was more of what I wasn't seeing, uh, you know, before the ball is thrown and really after the ball is thrown that I thought I would see more of. Yeah, I appreciate everybody that's been in here really being patient. Go ahead. Right. And I prefaced this entire conversation by saying I think he's a good player. I think he's a good starting receiver in the NFL. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think the question is, you know, because a lot of people envision him as this future superstar, number one, top 10 type receiver. Those are the kinds of conversations that you see circulating about him. And I I'm not there yet, personally. Um, I don't think it's just if you replace the quarterback, he would be like this superstar, uh, you know, top 10 receiver the way Justin Jefferson is. I, I think there's also flaws with him, too that would need to get refined for him to get there. That's kind of where I am. I think, Croc, you're in that same spot. Right. And we have a lot of callers. Here we go. I'm going to get the next caller on. All right, we got our guy, Kenneth Goldman. Kenneth, how you doing, man? Good morning. Hey, good morning, y'all. It, it, it's Goldsmith. <laughs> oh, Goldsmith, my bad. Uh, see, I'll good morning, Croc on, and so Vince. How y'all doing? Just a blur. Yeah. I'm well. How are <laughs> you? I'm good. Um, I just want to say one thing about the little branded IU thing, even though he touched mostly on it, the last caller. I was just going to say, we all seen the past charts from Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance, but I think Brandon IU, because it's not like Brandon IU haven't been given the effort. I think it's just Jimmy Garoppolo. Everything is just over the middle with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brandon you could do his work on the outside and the inside. Jimmy Garoppolo just benefited from off of Debo and Kittle being the players who they are. So it 
looks like Brandon Ayuk taking a step back because we all saying Nick Mullins get him the ball when Debo was out last season. That's that's all I just want to say about that. All right. Um, Croc, I wanted to talk to you about the DBs. And the thing about Josh Norman is I think we're all mad about when the penalties happen. Because most of the penalties, the DPIs came on like third down. You know? Well, typically teams are going to throw – so – I think sometimes with fans, we, we want to pick and choose when something is supposed to happen or when we feel something is supposed mm-hmm. to happen or not happen. And then we, because it happened in that moment, that's how we view that player, right? Like there are yeah. times I hear about like Mike McGlinchey and he'll get beat. And and what's the thing you hear? Did he he always gets beat when the game, like when at the mm-hmm. most inopportune time, right? And really is like, does he really always get beat at the very worst time? Or is that the time that you prioritize the most and it just happened to happen at that time where it might happen two times in the whole year where it's like, damn, that was not a good time for him to get beat, but he got beat. And I think sometimes fans focus more on that. So when it comes to a corner, a cornerback, more times than not, they're down, like teams are throwing the ball. If a team is yeah. throwing the ball and you got to call for PI, it's like, oh man, you got to call it. For PI on third down, and it's like, well, yeah, that's usually how it happens when it comes to third down. Uh, yeah, I, 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 but see, that's what I'm saying. I think that's what everybody mad about when it comes to Josh Norman. And it's where his his the, his DPIs come, and about the the draft when it comes to the corner. Because you said, would you say it, it, it's not that simple about the uh drafting the corners? Yeah. yeah. My thing about that is like we we drafted like the draft we just missing on like so many other players. You know what I'm saying? Like Aaron Banks. He's not even playing. Do you think we could have uh could have went and got a corner? But I think you have to yeah. you have to you're you're looking at the results, but not but not really the process, right? So mm-hmm. like what was the pro like what were they thinking and what was their logic in, in doing that? And I think it was, hey, we got a hole at right guard, which I think most fans would agree on. There was yeah, box yeah, I did where I didn't take an offensive lineman. And the fans were like, how do you not take an offensive lineman? Like, we're so mm-hmm. bad at the guard position. So what they were thinking is, just like the fans were, hey, we're really bad at right guard, and we really need to address this position. Now, again, do you prioritize – Drafting a right guard, that's a huge hole. Do we really want Brunskill starting that right guard? Or do we do we really, you know what I'm saying? Like, do we want that? Or right, hey, uh, can we draft a right guard and have Emmanuel Mosley and Jason Verrett playing that corner? And then let's draft some other corners and see if we could develop them. And I think that was kind of right. the thought process in prioritizing really getting right at that right guard position. And I think, but unfortunately, obviously, they, they didn't get the guy right with 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 Banks, which I I never was a fan of Banks, even though everybody told me that he was good. Oh, okay. So, uh, if you don't mind, I'll jump in real quick. One, I did think Banks was good. I have a video on my YouTube channel that said he was the best pick in the draft because I I just like the fact that he started so many games and he was comfortable running Mm -hmm. outside zone, inside zone power. I thought he was really versatile. Mm -hmm. Turns out I was wrong. I'm still crossing my fingers that things turn around because that video... I don't want it. I want it to age better. I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping they hit on Aaron Banks too. 
You know what I'm saying? But, My thing is, I, I, I'm, I'm just not. I just feel like they just, they just went backwards instead of moving forward. You know what I mean? So, no, I feel that. But what I will say about the corners, I thought Croc made what, what's the point? You know, I would have loved for that. And I, I mean, I personally wouldn't have. I wasn't that big of a fan. But I know the name that circulates is they should have taken Asante Samuel Jr. They, the perspective they were sitting from, and to me in that offseason is. You just gave Emmanuel Mosley a two-year extension. When mm-hmm. Emmanuel Mosley's been on the field this year, he has played up to that extension. He's been a good player. Yeah. He's been a good starting corner. Jason yeah, Verrett had a very good season the year before. I, I agree and with that Williams as well. is one of the better nickels in the NFL. If you're drafting a guy in the second round, they probably thought Banks had a better chance of starting over Brunskill than Samuel Jr. had a better chance of starting over Mosley, Verrett, uh-huh. and Kwan. Unfortunately, you know, Mosley has been in and out of the lineup between COVID and injuries. Verrett tore his ACL week one, which isn't what you expected. But to me, from that standpoint, their process made sense. And then the thing about Josh Norman getting beat at inopportune moments, this is croc where I go back to, you know, people don't watch everybody in the NFL, so they're not seeing every corner just getting dusted. I mean, I saw the Chiefs go zero on third and 27 and Charvarius Ward gets beat on a go ball with the game tied by Jamar Chase in press coverage. Jamar Chase absolutely destroyed him. Jerry had a pass interference on T. Higgins in on another big third down earlier in that game. And you know, Charvarius Ward and Legarius Need have had good seasons, in fact, better seasons than Josh Norman, quote unquote. But for Josh Norman playing playing at veteran minimum with the front the Niners have, the safeties they have, the mm. soundness of their scheme. He's actually playing better than, you know, a lot of starting corners who are, are making five, six million dollars and not playing and this, at that high of a level. And, and what Vish is saying, like, we're not saying that Josh Norman is good. So I know I see a lot of people in the chat is like, Josh Norman sucks. He's terrible. Get him out of there. And it's like, listen, if we're up to the 49ers, they would not be playing Josh Norman. Unfortunately, because I mean, of how the things have happened with the injuries and stuff, they've had to. But I know your issue yeah. with some other people's is. They need to put more resources into the cornerback position. My pushback, and really, I think Vish kind of agrees me with me here, is that crack your audio messing up. Yeah, you went in and out. My bad. Am I back? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Something's wrong with my court. I need to go get a new court. But my my pushback, and I think Vish agrees with me here, is they they felt like they had a, a solid core group. And their thought process is, all right, we need to prioritize this right guard position over a cornerback position. But with the starters that we do have, can we go draft guys that have potential to develop and be good? So, hey, let's go get Ambry Thomas. Let's go get Diamador Lenore. Yeah. We have in them while we have these other starters. Hey, and if worst case scenario, say week eight, Verrett gets hurt. All right. Uh, We've been working with Ambry Thomas. We'll get him in there. And we'll see what we have in him. And if he's not up to par, then all right, maybe next year we'll put more priority on the corner position if the opportunity presents itself. And I think right now, how do you feel about Ambry Thomas? Oh man, I'm lo- I'm loving it. I'm loving right, it, man. Okay. Because okay. yeah, so you're you're loving it, right? So yeah, you, you you're loving Ambry Thomas, right? Uh-huh. How do you feel about Emmanuel Mosley? Emmanuel Mosley, he was playing very well. All right, he was playing so very you, well. You so you essentially. When they go, God, you know, they go into this weekend. You mm. like the thought of Ambry Thomas and, De- and, and, and Manuel Mosley uh, starting, 
right? Yeah, now, but, but the let's only say this thing... offseason. Hold on. Uh, uh-huh. Let's say this offseason, right? This offseason, the draft comes around. Would you draft a guy that has to play over Ambry Thomas or Emmanuel Mosley? No, because of what okay, we're picking so in the no, draft. No, okay, no. Yeah. If if in your head, are you are you going into the draft thinking I have to replace Emmanuel Mosley or Ambry Thomas? No, I'm not thinking that. Not right, not so, this draft. All right, so so that's so that's that's the logic there. So now that's going to be the thing where people are going to be like, well, they they need to prioritize corner, but you're looking at it like I am. I would probably go edge over cornerback. Now, yeah, yeah, let's say definitely, they do that. Definitely. Most, let's just say they do that. Most people are going to say, well, oh, they're not prioritizing corner and they never do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But you got to look yeah. at the, the situation. And, Croc, the other thing I want to add to it is, you know, everybody mm-hmm. wants the 49ers to prioritize corners to the point that they have this elite shutdown number one corner. Look, outside of really Richard Sherman, to me, he's the one outlier in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. These well, Jalen Ramsey, Ramsey. No, 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 no. These elite corners, that's mm. what I'm saying. They go in the top 15, 20 yeah. picks of the draft because they're the most elite of elite athletes. Uh-huh. Jalen Ramsey, fifth pick in the draft. Darrell Revis, 12th pick in the draft. Um, Marlon mm. Humphrey, fifth pick in the 15th pick in the draft. Jair Alexander was the 18th pick in the draft. All these guys, Isaiah yeah. Howard, I think, was 42. These guys go in the top. 50 pick, yeah, and you 30 can, picks in the draft because they're elite of elite athletes. The Niners haven't really yeah. had an opportunity to take one of these elite guys, right? CJ Henderson went nine, Okuda went three when they had the 13th pick and they took Kinlaw. This year they traded up for a quarterback. The year, the only year you could really argue is maybe they should have taken more, uh, Marshawn Lattimore at three, mm. but you don't really take a corner at three. That's unheard of. Right. Everybody takes right. the defensive lineman over the corner at three. So this idea that they've uh, over undervalued the corner position, like, you know, I understand Samuel Jr. has been okay, but Emmanuel Mosley is an undrafted player who they just gave a second contract to who knows this scheme well, mm-hmm. and he's playing at a level that I think has been higher than Samuel Jr. And I don't think Samuel Jr., I, I mean, from where I stand, I could be totally wrong. I don't think he's going to turn into Jalen Ramsey tomorrow. So I, I no, think he's that not. It's, it's a process. It's a process. That's what I'm saying. So I just, think that you know, like being, upset with Thomas. The, being upset with the resources they've invested, like sometimes it's frustrating, but I don't think there's a large difference between taking a corner at 60 and taking a corner at 90. I think you're talking about marginal difference in terms of their athletic profile and their production profile. If you can get a guy to play well within your scheme and the Niners have developed those guys, you can be a really good defense if you have good safeties, which they have. And if yeah, you have I a really mean, good front I, seven, which they have. I won't be mad at that at all. Um, I think uh, – see, uh, I, I haven't, like, really – Tapped into what type of well, it don't matter anyway because we ain't drafting. What type of corner Asante Samuel Jr. was was anyway coming out of the draft? But uh, I think, uh, that, uh, okay, my, my bad. Uh, nope. I, I'm gonna get you off so I can get the other people on. I got three more uh, callers. Yeah, that's uh, cool. I appreciate that's you coming cool. on, though, bro. Great conversation. All right, thanks. thanks for having me, man. Y'all have a good day. All right. Here we go. Uh, I wanted to get to this. I got my guy, Daddy-O, and he says, man, after we get Jimmy's money off the books, we better invest in the top free agent corner. I like the guys we have, but they just don't generate enough interceptions. And I agree. Like, you want them to take the ball away. My, again, 
and again, I'm just trying to look at it from their perspective or just trying to look at it from a uh, broad perspective. If you spend big money on a free agent corner, he has to play over Mosley and Ambry Thomas. And if you feel like Ambry Thomas won't get any better than what we've seen, then go ahead and do that. If you yeah. feel like Ambry Thomas is not done developing and you think he has the potential to be a legit cornerback, then I probably wouldn't go and invest a lot of money or draft capital in a corner that has to come over in and play over him. Now, now what right. you can't do is you can't create competition. How do you do that? You get a, third not round saying a Keller Witherspoon, but a, a, a Keller Witherspoon or another a third round corner or a, uh, you know, a guy like um, uh, I keep, Mike Hughes, that you know, he signed with the Chiefs. Somebody that wears like, hey, this is a guy who could potentially be a starter in the NFL, or he can start. He started a lot of games. Let Steven me go Nelson. bring him in and at least have some competition. A Steven Nelson, you know, something like that, to where it's like we're gonna bring in a vet. He's gonna compete. Embry Thomas, can you beat him out? If Embry Thomas can't, then at least you know, okay, I 100% have to. I 100% have to invest more into the cornerback position in the following season. Right. But I think they've kind of gotten themselves into that with Akela Witherspoon, with, you know, having Richard Sherman, with having Mosley, who's good enough to play, with having Verrett, where it's like, it's it's been the, it's been hard to find the right time to go all in on the cornerback. And you don't want to be going and spending for what ends up to be Tremaine Johnson, right? So you don't want a pretty good, solid corner that's the one corner on the market, and because you need the corner, you go pay him. 15, 16 million dollars, and he doesn't play at that level, and now you're screwed. So, like, ideally, right, you would want to throw the big bag at Gilmore this offseason, but it, it might be tough to sign him. So, outside of Gilmore, that doesn't mean you then go to the next quarter and you say, Gilmore didn't sign with us. All this money we were planning to offer him, we'll just give it to you because we want a name at corner. Because honestly, a lot of these names, while they're names, I, outside of like the 10, 15 best corners in the NFL, to me, the rest are on kind of a fluid spectrum. And I would rather have one of these corners that's a lot cheaper, but playing better than his contract than have, you know, a $10 million starting corner who's as good as Emmanuel Mosley, but he makes $5 million more. Right. Here we go. We got a super chat here. Vicious, somebody future GM slash personnel guy. Hopefully San Francisco understanding of the game is next level. Apply for Parag's job tomorrow. Wait, is that what no. you want to do, or you don't want you want to do that? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm actually. I, I got a job uh, working for Abbott. I'm gonna be a software engineer. So this is okay. Just a hobby. Yeah, he's doing much bigger things. All right, here we go. We got our guy Ben, uh, Ben on Ben Myerson. What's up, Ben? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's good to see you, Vish. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys are talking about this. Just as I get to uh, jump in. Uh, and Croc, I feel like you and I had a, a great conversation about this uh, about three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm kind of where you guys are at, at, at the end there, which is, um, I think maybe some people, myself included, may have overreacted with saying that, you know, they don't value corner and they don't know how to get guys in there and that sort of thing. Um, but what I will say is I think the depth at the position that they went into this year, um, that was a mistake. You know, only ha having to go to Josh Norman because Jason Verrett gets injured immediately and you have to sign him off the street. I just thought they should have had a better contingency plan given Verrett and Mosley's history, honestly. 
Um, oh, okay. And- with, with Steven Nelson type guys, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Like those guys you mentioned at the end there, um, you know, like you're saying, you don't need anyone to come in and necessarily compete for that job, but you at least need a service serviceable, you know, veteran type corner. Um, and those, those Mike Hughes, Steven Nelson types, that's what I would have preferred. And that's kind of how I felt at the time too, after the draft. Um, so I just would have preferred that, but obviously, like you guys said, J- Josh Norman, look, He's not good. I don't think that's what you guys are saying. But he's also not, like, so trash that it's impossible to win with him in, in your lineup. Um, and it's not ideal, obviously. Like like you guys talked about, the 49ers don't want to do that. But given, you know, that the fact that they went into the season and then the first game that injury happens, they have to replace him on the spot. Um, it's about as good as you can do. Like we, I, what I will push back, Ben, is that I agree. I kind of agree with the depth point, but I don't think any team really outside of Miami and Denver, those were the teams I looked at before this season and said they have depth at corner. I mean, look at Green Bay. Alexander got hurt. They had to rely on Eric Stokes, and they signed Rasul yeah. Douglas, who the Niners worked out and signed Kirkpatrick and Josh Norman, and then they <laughs> signed Rasul Douglas week four, and it turns out Rasul Douglas has played pretty well for them. So – I I just look at it and I I don't think any team, I think there's, I don't even think there's 64 good cornerbacks in the NFL. I don't think there's 64 guys that you say for sure you want to start. I think there's like probably like 40 and then everybody else is just starting whatever is left. Some guys have a good season sub here. Some guys have a bad season sub here, but Croc, the floor is yours because I don't know if you agree with me, disagree with me. How do you feel on this? I, I definitely agree, but I think a lot of that comes from people not watching other teams a whole lot. And, and watching them with the same judgment as you would have for a 49er team, right? Like, you know, you watch, you know, I watch some guys and I'm seeing guys get bombed on and it's like, man, like that's tough, right? And I'm watching it and I'm like, whoo, I'm glad he's not a 49er, right? You know, like really I watch the 49ers and, you know, our corners are getting killed when the team throws for 160 yards. And people are like, oh, our corners suck. Our pass coverage sucks, right? We need corner. And it's like, damn, the, the quarterback threw for 160 yards. You know, you look at, uh, it was, um, who was it, man? It was Tennessee game. It's like, oh, our corners suck. We got nobody for AJ, AJ Brown. And it's like, well, I think our coordinator could do a better job of scheming around AJ Brown and shutting him down. But the quarterback threw for 208 yards. It's not like he just was slicing and dicing a defense up all game. You know, and that's kind of been the case with the 49ers. Can a guy get off? Sure. Is that one guy having 100 yards going to kill the 49ers in the grand scheme of how they perform throughout the entire game? I would say no. Now, I got Jeep uh, Crackhawk here, and he says, because uh, I know Ben was talking about 49ers, he didn't feel like they had a good con- contingency plan in the sense of, hey, what happens if somebody gets hurt? And he says it, they did. It, it was Lenore. And not just Lenore. It was Lenore. It was Embry Thomas. And a guy like Dante Johnson, who was able to come in last game. So I don't know if there's one right or wrong way to go about it. Maybe you could say, hey, every every offseason, we're just going to throw a bunch of resources at the cornerback position. <laughs> and, you you know, you might start going with something. Um, I, I don't think they should actually put that many resources into the position this offseason in terms of I think the only way they should probably go about it is maybe – go after a veteran fringe type, you know, starter, like like what I was talking about, so you can right. get that sort of depth, you know. I, I think they should spend their second-round pick on a pass rusher. Right, and and that goes to what our guy right here, uh, Rocky Mountain Razorback, is saying. And it's been my thing. 
I, I think the, the, the pass rush affects coverage more than having a good cornerback mm-hmm. out there. Like you, you know, like you, you, if now, obviously if you have, if you do a good job of just drafting these corners that can just shut guys down. Awesome. But most of the NFL isn't like that. So how do you really affect the passing game? It's with the pass rush. You, you have a good pass rush. You invest in that. You move quarterbacks off their spot. That's going to limit their ability to really load up and throw the ball downfield. If, if they do get some guys downfield a little bit, like, all right, you know, okay, is it going to hurt me? Obviously, this year, with how bad the 49ers cornerback situation has been, it has not been the thing that has killed them in games. Right. Yeah. And the one guy getting off thing to me, it's like, you know, when a really, really good receiver has a really good game against the 49ers, all oh, their corners suck. D'Amico Ryan suck. He can't make adjustments. All of this. This is the common discourse. Well, Wink Martindale is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. Uh, Marlon Humphrey is one of the best corners in the NFL. I saw a rookie Jamar Chase put 201 yards on his head uh, this season. So uh, these players are really good. They get off too. I think A.J. Brown had, uh, I want to say he had another huge game. Yeah, he had 10 for 155 against Indianapolis. Indianapolis's corners aren't amazing, but Kenny Moore is a good slot corner. Xavier Rhodes plays pretty well within their scheme. Iberflus is a really good defensive coordinator. Some of sometimes like AJ Brown makes a lot of money. He's considered to be a top ten receiver in the NFL for a reason. He can have good games too. Yeah, and I think like to go what you guys are are, are saying right now. Like, I, I agree with the point. I think overall that if you if you look at the league wide, you know the corn the cornerback just overall in coverage. Um, there are only so many guys for so many spots and and they they just don't have enough right now. And there never will be enough. And with the way the rules are going and with the way offenses are going and the way they're pushing the ball down the field, just makes it that much harder on on these corners. Um, So like you guys are saying, like there's only really so few teams who actually quote unquote have real depth at corner, like a Broncos or or a team like that. right? Right. So um like like I said, I would rather they you know go build up that pass rush this off season, really get a, a legit guy next to Bosa, someone that they can depend on a little more, and then also bring back some of these ancillary pieces along the defensive line that are going to be free agents. Um, I, I you know that's the one thing where people always say, oh, get a free agent corner, get a free agent corner. Well, when you start looking at the money this off season. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be an option or at least a, a, a very viable one with all the guys they have to re-sign already between, you know, Lake and Tomlinson, DJ Jones, Arden Key, um, Aziz, uh, Tart. The list just kind of goes on when you keep looking at it. So there's going to be a lot of guys for them to deal with. And um, also it's just, um, you know, obviously the Jimmy situation is a little fluid at this point and, Maybe the injury thing affects that a little bit. But even then, let, let's say you're getting the most money possible. I just think, you know, like like you guys said, why why would you go invest $10 million in a corner when you want Ambry and Mosley to be in that spot, you know, next year? Unless you can feel like you can get a worthwhile trade for one of those guys and then plug in that corner. Like, I just don't see that working out. So I think right. with the way things are set up now, they got to they gotta ride it out with Mosley and Ambry. And, and figure out nickel whether they're going to stick with K1 or move on to Dion or Lenore, and then you know at least try and have some contingency plan and do the best you can while understanding that like look like you guys said there's only so many good corners. 
right. And all right, Ben. Hold on. I'm gonna get Ben off and get the next caller on. But I appreciate you coming on, Ben. And Croc, if you don't mind, I just have a general question for just everybody who's watching with this conversation, especially in terms of free agency. So this is I'll read off some of the names that are free agent corners next year. Stefan Gilmore, Joe Hayden, Kyle Fuller, Chris Harris, Patrick Peterson, Bryce Callahan, Jason Verrett, Kevin King, Xavier Rhodes, Darius Williams, Kella Witherspoon, JC Jackson. Ideally, how many of those guys do you want to pay big buddy to? Right. I think people know names though, so they'll say like Gilmore. And I'm not saying Gilmore, like, yeah, but I think everybody might say Gilmore, even though he is getting a little bit older now, but most people would say Gilmore. To me, if you can bring him on a Richard Sherman type contract, that's the one you go for. The rest of them, it's kind of more names than actual substance. Yeah, let's get. But then look at our guy Dion on and see what he thinks. What do you think about all this, Dion? Hey man, whoa! What the heck just happened? Sorry, I don't know what just happened, man. Hey, what's going on? Good morning, Vish. Hey man, (laughs) you got a superstar on here, Crocky man. Vish is lauded in Forty Nine er lore here. As one of the young dudes that uh, is out there, man. But um, me personally, man, I look at it like this: I I'm not for drafting another pass rusher. I'm getting real tired of us doing that. Our last few drives have just been pass rush. Oh, look again, another pass rusher. Oh, look again, another pass rusher. What are we doing this year? A pass rusher. It just it's just become boring. It's become mundane. Well, how has that helped them though? It hasn't, that, right? it hasn't well, done no. much. Eric Armstead just started working out in the middle this year. Buck is gone. You traded him for Javon Kinlaw. And did, did, here's, here's, here's my number one pushback. The 49ers need to stop doing their homework, finding these dudes that have an injury history, and drafting them or okay, picking them part. up. We love – I mean, I look, I remember somebody took the 49ers logo, put it up, and took the SF off and put a wheelchair on there. Because it was like, if you got a torn ACL, come on down. If you got a busted meniscus, come on. Like, we just – I don't know what it is with injured players where we just continue to take flyers on them. And everybody with a brain in their head knew that we were taking a chance on Josh uh, on uh, Jason Verrett. We knew there was a high probability of him getting injured. The, the chance of him stringing together two consecutive years is just slim to none. We've seen so the guys you- injured history. So do you say and, and again why I said that it has worked out because although let's say the the 49ers pass rush maybe they missed on a certain guy but they put a lot of resources towards it that still has been the strength of the team regardless yes. you know what I'm saying so from that standpoint it's not like it hasn't worked again I just talked about how the Texans threw for 160 yards or the Titans threw for 208 yards right like that's not bad you're not getting sliced and diced up somebody said well it's the pass rush. Well, yeah, it is the pass rush. They help the secondary. So that's why I'm like, you know, I, I get it not being the sexy thing to do to put resources at that same position, but that has contributed to a lot of success, especially in the Super Bowl run. I mean, that's been most of the success in general, but it definitely stands out in the Super Bowl run as far as why the team was 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 so good that year. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, go, go, go ahead, Vince. Go ahead. No, ahead, I'll say I'll agree with you. I don't want them to draft a pass rusher in the second round, but I do want them to sign one because I think the veteran pass rusher market this offseason is crazy good, and I would actually prefer for them because you're not going to have be able to draft a Nick Bosa in the second round where you just drop him in and he becomes a top 10 edge rusher in the NFL. But if they could get, you know, there's a lot of guys. I mean, look at the edge rusher market. You start with Hassan Riddick. Harold Landry's had a really good season. 
Randy Gregory has been really good for Dallas. Jadavion Clowney is still quite good. Von Miller is going to be out there. Emmanuel Ogba has had 18 sacks in the last two years. Chandler Jones, Dante Fowler. There's a lot of names where you could get really, really good value for a veteran edge rusher to go with, you know, reciting maybe Arden Key or somebody like that. And they have a good interior already. Armstead's been pretty um, disruptive this year, even though the stats don't show how good he's been. So you get one of these guys to pair with a Bosa and you go like that, I, I would be 100% happy because then to me, you can address other needs in the draft. Maybe you have to address the interior offensive line because maybe you don't re-sign uh, uh, Lincoln Tomlinson. Maybe you don't re-sign Tartar Kwad, so you have to now draft a nickel quarter. Or you have to draft a, uh, another safety to compete with Hufanga for the job. So I, I, I do, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I don't know if there's going to be like this second round edge rusher that's just going to be, oh man, you got to take him because he's just going to change your defense. But I do think there's guys that paired with Bosa and free agency and the fact that the Niners will come into somebody, assuming they move off of Garoppolo, that could change their defense in the short term. Right. Yeah, I completely agree with that, man. My, my number one thing is it's, it's, it's just doing your homework and making sure that this guy can be consistent and stay healthy. That's my number one thing, because at the end of the day, it's a whatever you've done for me lately league. And if you ain't on field, you can't produce. They took a flyer on D Ford. And what has D Ford given us? About what? 10 games, 12 games at a max in three <laughs> Not years. Not very many games. Yeah. Not very many games. Now, everybody, I know I'm, I remember somebody was like, well, look at his impact when he's in there. He's never on the field for me to do so. So you can't right. tell me that. But my, my, my number with the corner situation, here's the thing. You're you're going to take a flyer on whoever you're going to take a flyer on. I can tell you right now with John Lynch, I guarantee you he's going to try to resign Jason Verrett. I, I just, I feel it in my bones. I want to make it clear too. I would, I would love for the 49ers to take a corner as high as possible. I just try to view it from a team building perspective as opposed to they, they won't. Maybe it, like it, a result. Like, you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't have, the fans want to draft a corner because it's like, well, we haven't drafted the corner high. And I'm watching the game, and they call pass interference on Josh Norman, so they need to draft corner. I look yeah. at it from the standpoint of, well, what are we doing with Mosley? What are we doing with Ambry Thomas? Do you believe in development? If that's the case, it's hard to just throw a high draft pick at that position or assign somebody to a lot of money that's going to play over him. Now, again, yeah. a guy like Stephon Gilmore, if you can land him, okay. All right, uh, Ambry Thomas, you're just going to have to continue to kind of wait your turn. And plenty of other guys have waited their turns and then ended up being solid. So yeah. if it's something like that, all right. But I'm not just going to go out there and just do anything, especially with a rookie drafting a rookie that may or may not work out. But oh, well, you know, but you kick Embry Thomas and his development kind of to the side. But I'm gonna get you all, Dion. I gotta get my I got the last caller on Darius so we can get out of here. All right, yeah, have a good one. Good talking to you, Vish. Peace, Crocky. All right, here we go. Got the got the last caller coming on. My guy Darius. Darius, good morning. How you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing great, man. How y'all feeling, man? What's going on? Oh, good, good. Vish, bro, hey, congratulations, too, with that. You see, brother, we're going to uh, tab it. Are you coming to Silicon Valley, or? No, so your plans uh, after Chicago? I actually don't know. I don't know where I'm going to be, but I start in July, actually. So I, I'm, I'm going to be working for Abbott. I'm still looking around uh, for jobs, maybe if I could get a better offer. So I'm going through the uh, interview process and everything right now. But, yeah, uh, That's right, appreciate man. it. Thank you so much. Yeah, man, definitely, man. Um, 
I just want to say y'all had it was a great show all around, bro. Like y'all touched on such so many topics, and uh, um, I know y'all ruffle feathers, but it's a saying that I say: uh, the truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. You know what I'm saying? So, with that, that like being that. said, man, I got a question though about with 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 Trey Lance right now. He doesn't really target Kittle, and then Kittle get on the microphone. And he has this little—I don't know what's going on with them. It seems like it's like a little bit of friction, right? So let's just say down the line, like, would it be beneficial to to tra trade Kittle, and and what would that look like for the locker room and the field per se? Uh, I wouldn't trade them. I, I don't know what the situation is, so I don't even want to jump to conclusions on that, but I, I definitely get what you're saying when it comes to kind of his tone uh, towards Trey Lance and, you know, oh, he played good for a rookie. You know, just certain things that he said where, you know, as opposed to like, listen to Elijah Mitchell and Elijah Mitchell was like, damn, man, I thought he, you know, he did really good. Like, you know, like, yeah, he's, he's starting to get it. You know, like, I think there's ways you can kind of word things and maybe he's not aware of that. Oh, I'm pretty sure he is. I don't know. Because usually he's somebody that definitely like is like his teammate's biggest cheerleader. And for people to kind of get the sense that he's kind of coming off a certain way that's different than that, uh, maybe there is something to it. But I, I don't want to look too much into it. Uh, so in regards to trading Kittle, I, I would yeah. actually consider it. Uh, his cap hit goes up to about $16 million. He's obviously still the best tight end in the NFL. He's fantastic. But to me, it, it becomes a question of availability with his body. And it goes back to the famous Bill Walsh saying, you'd rather trade a player one year early than one year too late. I, I think that there's still a lot of value you could get for Kittle. I think you're going to have to pay Debo the big bag bag this offseason. I think maybe you don't have to make the decision this year. But moving forward, he's also a little older. He's going to near 30 you have to, I think, consider how long do you think he's going to continue playing at this level? Do you think his body will hold up long term? And what kind of value can you get for him? Because if he's 29 and he has a $60 million cap hit, he's coming off a season where he played, you know, 10 games again, and you think you could get a first shot pick, then I would trade it. But to me, that's a conversation for 2023 and not for 2021, 2022. Okay, so you think he's still going to be around next year? Whoop. I mean, how, how can they get him more involved into the, to, to the game plan, you think? like, Or, okay. I mean, because he doesn't really target so, him that Brock, much. He doesn't. If you don't, if you don't mind me uh, jumping in real quick. So what I will say is I, I think he will be a big part of the game plan. He didn't play the first game Trey Lance started versus Arizona. And then he this was their first game playing together. And I keep going back to this example. Uh, I talked about, about it with Greg Seattle yesterday. Game too? He, yeah, I mean – he was also banged up in the Seattle game. I, I think he will be a big part of the offense. I just didn't think the game plan landed itself for it this way. Look, look at it here, uh, Darius. Look at it this way. Um, do you remember Colin Kaepernick's yeah. first start? Do you remember what Michael Crabtree's stat line was in that game? No, I don't. Not at all. He had two catches, 21 yards, and a touchdown, and the touchdown was an off-schedule play. In that game, actually, his first game, Vernon Davis was the one who went off. Do you remember what the conversation was about Crabtree and Vernon Davis later in that season and uh, in regards to their relationship with Colin Kaepernick? People were wondering why Vernon Davis wasn't a big part of the offense, but 
the first game they played together, actually, Vernon Davis was the bigger part of the offense than Crabtree, but it turned out that Crabtree became uh, Kaepernick's go-to guy. So I, I, I think you should just wait and let it play out because I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if next week, let's say Kittle is the one that goes off, even if Lance plays. Okay, for sure, yeah. Definitely. For sure, thank you, man. Hey, y'all, y'all had a great show today, bro. And just keep doing your thing, man. Have a great day. All right, D. Appreciate you. All right, that's awesome. I think that's a, a good time to kind of hang up the show. We've been on long. This is definitely our longest show. Appreciate Vish for coming on. Got our guy Jeep Crackhawk. He says, thanks for the great morning football talk. That's awesome. I appreciate everybody that's in the chat. I appreciate Vish for coming on. And uh, I'm going to get you out of here now, Vish. I've had you on. I told Vish he was going to come on for 30 minutes. And it's been yeah, had, an, an hour and 30 minutes. So. Yeah, I had nothing going on this morning. But as Croc, as always, Croc, thank you so much for having me. Always an honor to come out with, come on with you. I always learn so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All good. All right, Vish. I'm out. I'm going to send you off now. Appreciate you. All right. See you. Thank you. All right. And everybody else that's in here, shout out to my guy, Vish. That was awesome having them on here. We answered a lot of questions, got into it. Uh, moving forward. We, you know, tomorrow's hump day, so we're going to get over that hump and start talking more about the 49ers against the Rams. I probably won't be on Friday because I'm traveling to L.A. for the 49ers uh, game. I'll be at the 49ers game. I'll be out there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday, we got a big thing going on with John Chapman. Everybody needs to be there. I don't have the details here right now, but go to my Twitter. It should be my pinned tweet. He has his whole gold rush thing that we're doing. I also have on there a uh, it's a tailgating party for uh, before the game. So I'm going to be out there in Los Angeles for the game. I want all y'all to join myself, join Chapman and other 49er content creators. Make sure you'll do that. Can't wait. That's going to be awesome. Um, also, I appreciate everybody's in the chat. You guys have been live the whole time. That's been pretty cool to see as, as well. Uh, live, active. Make sure if you haven't already, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button, all that good stuff. Got my guy, he says, Croc, we got to get a Croc TV show popping. NBC, CBS, BET, <laughs> let's go. Hey, man, tell them to, to, to write the check, man, and I'll be there. But uh, y'all know what it is, man. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. But that's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all, man. I am out. Peace. Crop Talk TV Podcast. Podcast. Peace. Peace.